Hello, everyone. Tonight is September 18th, 2020. And we just received the horribly sad news that Justice Ginsburg has passed away. Two years ago, Katie and I came up with the idea for this podcast and decided to make our season one finale about the legendary RBG. As you know, in each episode, we compare two famous women. Good women, bad women, fictional women, and non-fictional women. Even though RBG is larger than life, she's definitely non-fictional. But the beginning of tonight's episode is about Minnie Mouse. So if you're only interested in listening to the portion about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, jump ahead to about minute 58. Our hearts go out to her family We know that this is a tremendous loss for women, Americans, and the world, but we're sure nothing compares to what they must be feeling in this moment. We thank them for sharing their mother and grandmother with us. I hope she and Marty shared a long embrace when they met again just a few hours ago. Harder the difficulty. Yes, higher the number, harder the difficulty. Got it. What's the <laughs> um, what's the top number? Um, usually like between like an eleven and a thirteen. So, oh. but um, but that's just like gym numbers. So, My. usually the at, at the one I go to, they don't really set higher than an eleven. Mm. Um, so what's but, it like to climb up a outside mountain? I don't know. I don't go outside. <laughs> I'm too afraid of like animals nibbling at my fingers. Yeah, I hear that. Because that did happen to somebody recently. And it also happened in the movie Failure to Launch. And you're also horrified of snakes. And I'm terrified of snakes. I actually, just last night, I was up all night with nightmares about snakes. Really? Yes. And snakes live I'm on I'm 25. Rocks. You had 25 nightmares? No, I am 25 and I'm oh. still having nightmares about <laughs> I was snakes. Like, did it's you count them? It's embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. So... This is not a snake podcast. This it should is, be. <laughs> it should be. Can we do Medusa? <laughs> we need to, actually. Yeah. Uh, this is Herstory. On the rocks. I'm Katie. And I'm Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about famous, fictional, and non-fictional women in history. And we are not experts on any of these women. No, we are we not. We do literally... We, we record. Mm-hmm. We take a day off. Mm-hmm. And then we do six days of research. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's not the math. Five days of research, <laughs> and then we record again. Exactly. That's it. Nonstop history. Yeah. Nonstop, nonstop Google searches. And documentaries. And documentaries. And podcasts. And podcasts. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, and then we bring it all to you. Yes. We bring it to you. Mm-hmm. And this just happens to be our season one finale. Finale. Which is very exciting. So we've decided to break up the seasons a little bit. Um, just to give us a break and to yeah. give you a break. Um, 15 so, episodes. I mean, we're, we're still going to be posting every week, but we've decided to kind of break it up into chunks. So this will be season one finale. And I think it is like a master episode. The pair, yes. I don't think could be better. No, I don't people. think so either. No, especially because it's like a massive, massive cartoon icon. Oh, yeah. And then... You, of course, have one of the most inspirational women of all time. 
Of ever, ever, ever. (laughs) (laughs) Who is still alive. So it's very exciting. Who both are still alive. Yes. So let's get into who we have. Um, This is an audio podcast. (laughs) So we got to tell you what these ladies look like in case you don't know how Google works. Exactly. So (laughs) in case you don't have a newspaper. Yeah. Or or the internet. Or a car or phone or your Amish. But I feel like then you would not have this podcast either. So maybe not. But anyways, we're still going to jog your memory. So let's get a little bit physical, physical. Who is your friend tonight? Okay, so I am doing Minerva Mouse, a.k.a. Minnie Mouse. (laughs) So she is a small black cartoon mouse with big round ears, large eyes with very big lashes. She is often wearing yellow high-heeled shoes that are a little bit too big for her. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. That's true. Uh, A big red bow in her hair and a red and white polka dot dress with white lacy knickers underneath. And of course, she has white gloves and she has like a white face. Um, And that is what she looks like. (laughs) That is absolutely what she looks like. The most famous silhouette of all time. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. (laughs) So I am doing the Notorious RBG. Whoop, 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 whoop. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg has big, beautiful blue eyes that are often hidden by her statement glasses. Mm. She is always like right on with the big glasses. Mm -hmm. She has soft brown hair with curls. Um, now she usually ties it back because mm-hmm. she's older. So it's usually like clipped back in a low ponytail. She's currently 85 years old. She is five one, mm. but she is small and mighty. Excellent. This woman, <laughs> she, um, is, you know, lovely and intelligent and soft. But if you look at pictures of her from her pre Supreme court days, she, is just looks so powerful and like Mm -hmm. she knows what's going on. Um, She was nominated for the Supreme court in her sixties. So most of us think of her as 60 plus, Mm -hmm. but, and we always envision her in robes with her fancy lace collars. Mm. That is how I think of her. I'll never forget that broad city scene where they're like showing each other their Halloween costumes. Yes. <laughs> and they like go in front of the camera and they're both dressed as judges. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh my gosh, are we both RBG? <laughs> and she's like, I'm Judge Judy. <laughs> <laughs> and they look exactly the same. Because it's all bad. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> she, yeah, Judge Judy is like the richest woman on daytime I television. I was actually thinking like, we could do RBG and Judge Judy, but that would be... No, we got to split them up. You got to split them up. We got to do Judge Judy with like an infamous criminal. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh my gosh. Eileen Warnos for days. (laughs) Carmen San (laughs) Diego. Yes. (laughs) I want to know what this drink is in front of me because it is Minnie Mouse pink. (laughs) Okay. So this drink, I truly believe is me if I were a drink. Like if I was a historical person and I had a drink named after me, this would be it. Why don't you let me decide that? Okay, you'll decide it. But (laughs) so there wasn't, unfortunately and shockingly, an official Minnie Mouse cocktail. Hmm. So there is one in the Disney parks and that's what I based this off of. But I couldn't find the recipe anywhere because, you know, hidden Disney secrets. But I am shocked that no one has made up a Minnie Mouse cocktail. I know. They're all Mickey Mouse cocktails. Like there's a there's a Mickey Mouse like mudslide. I think it's called a mouse slide. Yeah. So that's that. But it's for him, you know, and it's like 
a dark Oreo cookie like ice cream drink. And I didn't really feel like it screamed Minnie Mouse. No, not at all. So this is called a Mini 75. It is based off of a French 75. Uh, so it is sparkling rosé, rosemary simple syrup, gin, and lemon juice. So let me know what you think. I love it. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. It's good, isn't it? I like it a lot. That mm. hint of lemon mm-hmm. changes it up. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even taste the gin. Oh, I know. Me neither. And I like gin. And there's a full shot in each of our little things. And it's just topped with the rosé. I love it. Well, it's like halfway filled. So, yeah. I I'm really, really I love this drink. <laughs> it, and it's I, a good one. And I don't know what's in the Disney Park one. Um, maybe it's close to this. Maybe it's completely far up. Maybe it's just sparkling rosé. I Who have knows? no idea because they won't tell me. But this one's better. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have us working for yeah, them. Exactly. So I'm going to give you what I know about Minnie, Mm -hmm. which is the basic stuff. Her name's Minerva. I did Mm -hmm. know that. Um, Her full name. Mm -hmm. She was like originally dressed in like red and white polka dots in the old cartoons, sometimes pink, but now she's always in pink on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So there's been a switch. Mm -hmm. Um, I only know that because I have kids. She now has her own boutique. Mm-hmm. on like the mini minis boutique that's like an offshoot of mickey mouse clubhouse but she has a cat named figaro mm-hmm. and she is the long time partner of mickey however not married to mickey walt believed they were married but they never it. had like an official well they only have four fingers so right. we there's, so no, there's ring no ring there's no ring so yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, and actually it's funny because so the red and white polka dot thing came much later. Really? Yes. So um, it was pink, then red, then pink again? So when it, so I mean, I'll get into it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. obviously originally she was in black and white because she was, you know, whatever. Steamboat Willie's girlfriend. Steamboat Willie. You know. <laughs> and, um, but she didn't really have a signature color for a while, for mm. a very long time. Um, it was hard because I couldn't find exact years for it. And that was very frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like I wanted a concrete timeline. Like when did they put the bow in? When did they give her tops? Like, yeah. <laughs> when did they do this? Like, but anyways, I mean, she's been around since 1928. So Ooh, this girl, <laughs> she's old. Um, All right. So in order to give you the history of Minnie Mouse, we have to start with a little bit of Walt and Mickey. Let's do it. So in the 1920s, Walt Disney was a young, inspiring animator on the scene. And by 1925, things seemed to be going pretty good for him. Uh, He has contracts for these shorts uh, called Alice series. So these are like little short cartoons. Um, and him and his brother officially named their company Disney Brothers Studio. Hmm. He hires an ink artist and then marries her, and they have two daughters. And his newest character, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, is taking off. So this is where we find Walt Disney right before Mickey. Got it. I mean, I hear people who have two daughters are the most successful, so... Right. You know. <laughs> you might know from experience. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in 1928, he thinks, okay, I'm going to expand this Oswald series. I think it's got a lot of potential. So he goes to Charles Mintz, the head guy at Universal Studios, uh, who had contracted Disney to do these, um, little short cartoons. And he was not into this. Uh, he was actually looking to cut the budget. Mm. So him and Walt had this huge falling out. Walt leaves. And then Mintz actually ends up taking the rights of Oswald, the lucky rabbit, 
from Walt because he claimed that Oswald was an official Universal Studios character, so they owned him. Made it under the working hours of Universal Studios. Exactly. So Walt's like, all right, whatever. No fucking problem. I'll just shorten his ears. Now he's a mouse. (laughs) All right. Got it. But the real issue was not exactly the character, but the fact that he had lost half of his staff and all of his budget. Hmm. So, but he kept plugging away, and his partner, Ub Ewerks, his name makes no sense to me, and I wish I had heard like a pronunciation because I have no idea how this is pronounced. Is it Michael Eisner? It's UB. <laughs> <laughs> so his first name is UB, just Ub? UB. Ub, or maybe it's Ub, and then the last name is Iwerks, like I-W-E-R-K-S. Ub Iwerks. They're from the <laughs> South. I can't. I don't know. I think they're like from, I think he's from like Russia or something. Oh, okay. His name is, or Poland. His name is crazy. So, make so shout out to all our yeah. politicians. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> so he, uh, so the two of them form Mickey Mouse, the character. The origins are not quite clearly divided, but in the words of one Disney um, employee, Ube designed Mickey's physical appearance, but Walt gave him his soul. Hmm. So Walt originally wanted to name him Mortimer Mouse. Of course, why not? <laughs> but his wife suggested Mickey, saying that Mortimer was too pompous. <laughs> Got it. So I w- that's what I was wondering, because mm-hmm. Minnie's a nickname for Minerva. I was yes. wondering if Mickey was a nickname for, like, Michael. No. No. Not that I read anywhere. Like, yeah. he is just Mickey. And actually, Minerva came out, like, in the 40s. Mm. So that was not Walt's, like, original idea. People added it later. Mm-hmm. That's fun. So I don't know if you'd consider it canon, but <laughs> I have an issue with people adding to canon later. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like I love the early Mickey and Minnie stuff that they show mm-hmm. in like, but they the ones they always show are Pete running after Minnie mm-hmm. and Mickey having to save her. Yeah, I take a little bit of issue with that, but that's the time period. Yeah, and too. that was like one of their big things was her damsel in distress mm. image which honestly is kind of funny because i'll get into this too in the very very beginning it wasn't exactly like that and mm. i like th- and we'll get into it they pulled so, a switcheroo yes quentin tarantino do you right <laughs> well kind of reminds me when betty boop like was she, a dog well and she was like a dog and she was a little more like i felt independent in the first couple little episodes but then the Hayes Code came into effect and she had to be a lot more like docile and matronly. We're coming full circle. Full circle. Season First opener. episode to last Season episode. Closer. Amazing. Love it. <laughs> so, uh, so they replace Oswald with Mickey. But one thing that Oswald had that Mickey did not was a love interest. And actually, this was very smart of them. So People Oswald, love a love story. they do. Oswald had a lot of love interests, so he was a rabbit, so he always was like following different chickies around, and he like was... Like Pepe Le Pew? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he had like a few girls that he would see repeatedly, but you know, he was like kind of a player. He was going all around. But Mickey has only ever had one Minnie, oh. which is very cute. <laughs> so Soulmates. this is where Minnie comes in. Are they lobsters? Yes, they're each other's lobsters. <laughs> so in 1928, Disney and his partner, Yub, create the pair, which I think is really interesting because I always assumed that Minnie came like way after Mickey. 
Um, but they were really a pair since day one when they made their debut on November 18th, 1928 in Steamboat Willie. That is crazy because I always assumed, too, that she was the eve to his Adam. Yes. Like, let me take your rib. This is successful. Let's add to it. Right. Exactly. But no, she was there since day one. Like, in the original cartoons, like, the they made, like, three very, very original cartoons in 1928, and she is in every one of them. I love it. I know. It's great. Go ahead, girl. Pair um, it up. <laughs> So Minnie was designed in the fashion of a flapper girl. So her main outfit consisted of a short flapper girl dress with black stockings that often revealed her distinctive patched knickers, <laughs> um, which she actually still has today. Like she always has like some sort of like ruffly lacy thing underneath of her dress. Of course. Of course. You have to add volume. <laughs> and um, she wears oversized high heel shoes. And in the original drawing, she has this little hat with a flower sticking out of it. It's like a little pillbox hat. The square one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Apu wears. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> That's a fez, I think. But still, it's close. I mean, she's not wearing a fez. But <laughs> it's a little wider. It almost it's- looks like a very, very tiny, like, sun hat. It's more Jackie <laughs> O funny. than a fez. Yes. <laughs> uh, her character is described as cheerful, feminine, intelligent. Many often serves as the voice of reason. She can be extremely outspoken to adversaries, but to her core, Minnie is a lover of life, nature, her friends, and most significantly, Mickey, who serves not only as her boyfriend, but also her best friend, which yes. I think is so cute. And of course, that was written about her like years later after she had developed more as a character. <laughs> but she's like the most gracious of people. She really is. Yeah. Mouse souls. She's so nice. And like, especially in the early years, like she's just so pure and I love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's very sweet, but she's also very strong. Um, so in the beginning, she's portrayed as either a dancer or a musician. And in fact, in Steamboat Willie, her first appearance is like running up to catch up with his boat. And she's carrying this ukulele and sheet music, but the sheet music is rolled up. So honestly, when I first saw it, I thought she was carrying a yoga mat because it's all <laughs> rolled up and like slung over her <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> and I was like, wait, oh, hold on. No, they don't have yoga mats in 1928. No, like, the they don't. Well, not, <laughs> she just not here. Like, yeah, not here. <laughs> she looked like such a little hipster. And she's running it. after Mickey. Minnie is a little hipster. Um, <laughs> Can you picture her with dark room glasses? Yes, what I can. um so these cartoons are very weird because they're mainly musical because in the 20s they um you know didn't have a lot of technology people were more simple yeah (laughs) don't i didn't say that um and that's mainly what steamboat willie is it's all about them like playing music together Mm. which is really nice because there is like a little bit of a romantic element and like mickey and um what is his name pete pete yeah mickey and pete have their fight but it's not really about minnie uh she's just there playing music she's like playing a cow like a or a goat like a (laughs) like a phonograph like a twisty thing (laughs) she's turning a twist turning a thing (laughs) you can't see the Um, pantomime that's happening (laughs) but i can um mickey is like grabbing the udder like there's a lot of animal play in this so mickey's like <laughs> grabbing these udders and spraying milk all over himself and the animal hierarchy <laughs> in the disney universe makes no sense now, some talk some don't talk some have clothes some are naked and he's like kind of abusive to these animals <laughs> 
like he's playing the animals like instruments but the way he plays the cat is he takes her tail and he's like whipping her around his head (laughs) (laughs) and it's to the the theme of straw in the hay or whatever that is god let's play disney for Peter. i love this (laughs) so (laughs) and also so this is a good thing to note so steamboat willie is the OG of all Disney cartoons. That right. is what everybody thinks of when they think of the first Disney cartoon. It's the opening but, to every Disney movie now. Yeah. And, but actually, Plain Crazy was when they animated first, but they actually oh, released wow. it after Steamboat Willie because the first version of Plain Crazy didn't have any sound. Wow. Um, and in this one, you can tell that Minnie and Mickey are like familiar with each other, but not, they're not solidly a couple yet. That's cool. So, in Plane Crazy, Mickey takes her up in this airplane and they're flirting and like they're being kind of like playful with each other. But then he tries to kiss her and she's like, oh, no, absolutely not. So in Steamboat Willie, they could have been siblings. Right. Yeah. And then they take it on. Uh, yeah. Because I did watch it earlier and like it was, it was pretty PG. Like they're just kind of playing music together. You know, in Disney World now, they have a 4D that you can watch. Hmm. Steamboat Willie where Pete and Minnie and Mickey... Like you're watching and they bust out of the screen and turn into color. Whoa. And it's like they're running through like the state, like right in front of you. It's like they, insane. It is. It's absolute <laughs> nonsense. And they keep busting. Ba- they turn from black and white into color. Like, oh, that's crazy. And it goes from like <laughs> Pixar Minnie and Mickey to mm-hmm. like 2D <laughs> crap <laughs> that they drew back then. Anyway, so they're in this airplane. Okay. So they're in the airplane. He tries to kiss her. She says no. So he gets mad and it makes the plane go upside down so she falls out of it. No, he doesn't. <laughs> yes. And then he swoops down and like, you know, goes underneath and catches her in the plane. Mickey, you scoundrel. And she is like shaking and he tries to kiss her again and she still says no. Good and she pushes girl. him away again. Good girl. So he gets mad and then he grabs her face and kisses her and she leans back and smacks him in the face, walks out of the plane while it's in the air. Are you ready for an anecdote? (laughs) Yes. Okay. You can drink while I do. Okay. (laughs) Jake and I were watching with our children. Jake's our producer. The... Um, and your husband? Yeah. Man. <laughs> we were watching. Yeah, it just sounds weird. Like me and the producer were hanging out with my children. The producer just gave me the finger. <laughs> <laughs> so we we were watching Honey, I Shrunk the Parents. What's the second one? I Shrunk one? the Kids? No, no, no. Yeah. Second one. Yeah, honey, I the shrunk first the- one is Honey, yeah. I Shrunk Myself. Yeah. Well, yes. So they are. the second one's where they go in the dip. Correct. They, they're in the kitchen. The parents are in the kitchen. They're little people, little tiny shrunken. Mm-hmm. And the daughter's in there and they threw oh, a party. Oh, you're right. It's honey, we shrunk ourselves. Yes. That's the second yeah. one. And the daughter like threw a party and there's these like teenage boys over. And this is a movie in like 19, what, 90 something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I'll Google it, whatever. And a boy comes in and he like kisses the daughter and the parents are watching like, oh my God. And yeah. she was like, Get away. I never asked you to kiss me. Like, so ahead of its time. Right. I was like, I need to s- just like Snapchat this yeah. one moment of being like, <laughs> this is what raised millennials. Right. Us being like watching yes. this and being like, I never asked 
asked you to kiss me. Right. Get out of here. Well, because it's like that second step of consent. I, I saw this thing online uh, yesterday where this mom was saying, I don't teach my son that no means no. I teach him that yes means yes. Like you need to make sure that that is what your partner wants, not just take kind of like a passive what, like obviously no means no also, yeah. but she was like, I'm trying to teach him that. Ask the question. Ask the question. And Have you seen Frozen? Yes. At the end, Kristoff says, can I kiss you? <gasps> really? And, and Anna says, yes. Ugh, that's awesome. Good lessons, Disney. <laughs> not Mickey trying to kiss her and catching her in a plane. Right. But in a weird way, that's also... This whole thing of she's absolutely flirting with him. But when it comes to a physical thing, she's like, no, I don't want that. And he doesn't get it. So he is continuing it. But she stands firmly. It's not like she gives. She never gives in. You know Mm. what I'm saying? And I just love that. Like she walks out of the plane and uses her knickers as a parachute and goes down safely. And he like crashes his plane and gets hit in the head with a horseshoe that she gave him. Because what you're wearing is important. Exactly. Um, and honestly, she has no problem taking care of the situation herself. This yeah. is what I was mentioning earlier about how she's kind of a strong character in the beginning. You know, she has this kind of moral like ground that's like, no, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to flirt and have a good time. But when it comes to that, I'm not ready for that and I'm not okay with it. So if you're going to force it on me, I'm going to jump out of this fucking plane. Yeah. And then I'm going to go be a bow entrepreneur. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Original Jojo Siwa. <laughs> Minnie walked so Jojo could fly. <laughs> oh my god! One small step for Mouse, one giant step for Siwakai. The worst preteen in America. <laughs> oh, poor girl. Oh. And these types of scenes, though. So Minnie was a larger part of the success of Mickey Mouse than I think people give her credit for. Because she's cute and flirtatious, and a lot of the comedy comes from their interactions. You know, mm. Mickey trying to kind of flirt with her and get her, and her not really taking his shit. And people really liked it, and they connected to it. Um, they liked the consistency of the relationship because they were always together, especially in the beginning when the other characters didn't really exist. And honestly, Mickey was kind of an underdog. You know, like he never quite got her in the beginning. Yeah. Like they liked each other, but. You know, people, I think, really rooted for him instead of this kind of Casanova that you could never live up to. Yeah. It's kind of the um, Julia Roberts theory you have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Julia Roberts was in Pretty, Wim- pretty Woman. 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 <laughs> no, pretty Women. <laughs> she was in Pretty... She's in Pretty Woman. And the idea there is that because that was her first starring role as a hooker, women aren't intimidated by her because they feel like, oh, I'm better than that. So women fell in love with her and therefore her fame exploded. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Also, I didn't come up with that. I read that somewhere. No, I, I always think. thought it was your theory. No, most of the things I say I read somewhere. I feel like that's everybody though. I like I feel like people just say things and it's all things they read. Yeah. Or a company. Not a very original com- <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Podcast? Community? People? People. Society? Society. We build on each other. <laughs> exactly. The pyramids were built on. That's a good thing. <laughs> I did love I saw this thing the other day that was like <laughs> It was like a picture of the pyramids and like Easter Island. And it was like, just because white people didn't do it doesn't mean it was aliens. (laughs) 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 Literally anything that wasn't from an Anglo-Saxon culture. (laughs) People are 
like it must have been aliens instead I'm of being so like, oh, sorry wait. for how loud I just was. <laughs> <laughs> just like I never thought about the innate racism that comes with that. <laughs> that the that- <laughs> things you don't think about when you're white are so <laughs> many. Let me tell you, mind blown light bulb. <laughs> Like <laughs> white privilege moment for their right for me. Like I never thought. Thank you, that's all the, thing. the Arabic and Hebrew people <laughs> who dealt with the pyramids, and thank you to all the actual Native American people, right? Native who, American, African American people who were like <laughs> who built Eastern Latin Island. American people. Everybody who actually did all these amazing things, and we just don't give them credit and say it was aliens. Like I yeah. never did. I'm not a big cons- conspiracy theory person. Mm. I. Grassy knoll, th- girl. Grassy knoll. <laughs> I don't think that aliens did it. Uh, I did find out today that a man bit off another guy's ear because they had a fight about a conspiracy theory. So, in a hot tub. <laughs> That's just like a weird add-on to the story. They were in a hot tub when this well, happened. Well, what about the boxer? <laughs> huh? We're off topic. We <laughs> <laughs> are we okay? So. <laughs> Um, also, this is something I don't think a lot of people know. Uh, Walt Disney voiced both of both Minnie and Mickey in their earliest cartoons. You're a liar. I'm not. I swear to God. Of course, all they're doing is going. Like, you know what I'm saying? They're not saying much. What's your best <laughs> Mickey Minnie impression? I don't. I cannot. <laughs> I'm like, ho, oh, come on, Pluto. Ho, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't have a good Minnie, but that's my Mickey. Just like this story. <laughs> That's Just a like shame. Story. That is a shame. What a shame. Where's our mini cocktail? So <laughs> he voiced both of them, but then he got Marjorie Ralston to do the voice. Um, Good she name. was originally an artist for Disney uh, when there was only 13 employees, and which is crazy to think about how many employees there are for Disney now. Mm. Um, Animation has always struggled for them. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so anyway, so they get her to do the voice and in a cartoon in 1929 called Mickey's Follies, her importance to Mickey is solidified when he performs a song about her called Minnie's Yoo-Hoo, which sounds like it's about her vagina, but it's not. Is it about chocolate milk? <laughs> no. <laughs> and but it basically says that like when Minnie calls for him, like when she calls Yoo-Hoo for him, um. it's like a mating call to him. <laughs> Oh, and this Maybe is the, she's calling and this help. is actually the first this is where she gets her name this is the first time she's called Minnie Mouse Cute. so the song like the first little part of the song goes I'm the guy they call little Mickey Mouse got a sweetie down in the chicken house <laughs> neither fat nor skinny she's the horse's winnie she's my little Minnie Mouse <laughs> mice love to hang out in chicken houses they by the way love it they and then it the goes corn. on to some weird thing like it says when it's feeding time for the animals <laughs> and they howl and growl like cannibals is this, is this like the second verse of the star spangled banner <laughs> no, no 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 let's just cut it cut it cut it cut it <laughs> you got real racist <laughs> So Mickey and Minnie star in a few more shorts together, such as The Wave and Cactus Kid. Um, And then in 1930, they're in a short called The Picnic, where her pet is introduced. Pluto. Pluto's hers? Originally. And he was not called Pluto. Pluto, He was called Rover. (laughs) What a good dog, man. What a good dog. (laughs) So he later obviously becomes Mickey's dog and Minnie gets other pets like the cat Figaro. Well, they're Um, living in sin. (laughs) And that fish. I don't know if they ever actually move in together. I don't know what goes on in Mickey's clubhouse on Disney Channel Mm -hmm. right now, but 
She doesn't live there. They normally like are never because he's always seen like picking her up for dates. Yeah. Which I think is very cute. <laughs> Maybe they have jobs on the opposite coasts. So they live separate and then just like meet up. Hmm. That'd be fun. Yeah. I could see Minnie as more East Coast. Mm hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, in 1935, she appears in color for the first time in a cartoon called On the Ice. And I think, um, like, I have very vivid memories of this, like, with, like, Pluto, like, on in his, like, ice skates, like, slipping around and, and whatever. And in the 30s, so these cartoons continue, but her popularity kind of starts to wane. And she's not featured as often in these cartoons because... Pluto, Donald Duck, and Goofy have all been introduced, and they are crazy, crazy popular, especially Donald Duck. They're like, funny. They are really They're, they're eccentric. Really they're eccentric characters, yeah. and she's not meant to be eccentric. She's no, solid. She's, not. she's supporting. And yeah. so throughout the 40s and 50s, she's seen kind of sporadically, um, but they are firmly established as a couple. So the whole, like, the will they or won't we of the 19... 19- 30s cartoons is over yeah um they're seen going out on dates she throws him a surprise birthday party which that was actually the first cartoon that was very solely based on her super nice yeah so nice and honestly this is my favorite era of mickey mouse cartoons because i i don't know how we watched them i know that we would watch the wonderful world of disney i think on sunday nights it came on or saturday nights yeah it did um and so they would play these cartoons and then we also, of course, would record them on the VHS yeah. well, and, and that's I'd when, watch them over again. It's when Michael Eisner <laughs> every Sunday night yeah. would come on and say, I'm Michael Eisner, CEO, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Here are some of our favorite cartoons and they would just replay their old stuff. Right. Wouldn't it be nice to and have that honestly, many episodes to just I replay? loved it. And who didn't? This is my favorite era of Mickey Mouse cartoons. The animation is fantastic. I don't like the new animation of some of the new mickey mouse stuff i think they look weird really yeah i'm not a big fan i of don't it. mind it it's just more pixar-y it's just up to date yeah. i can't like i don't it's not a well it didn't take as much time i think yeah. that's the difference right between drawing every scene and computer animating every scene and i'm sorry for all the in- computer animators i just insulted because i knew nothing about your life <laughs> but like i think just the fondness i think it's the reason I like um, Princess and the Frog more than I like Tangled. Tangled yes. has the look of like the Pixar-ness, mm-hmm. whereas Princess and the Frog looks very... It looks more hand-drawn. Drawn cartoon. It yeah. wasn't, but it looks it. It's that flat look. And I like the that flat That I look. like, yeah. Yeah, give me, that, <laughs> give me that flat. I want it to look fake. Yes. <laughs> um, I also love this, Eric, because Chip and Dale come in, and Yay! I... <laughs> <laughs> love chip and dale i was watching these cartoons today are they and brothers I, or partners do we know brothers they're brothers yeah they're definitely brothers um uh and also minnie gets her best gal pal daisy duck who is donald's partner girl i just wrote them down a minute ago look really? at my paper <laughs> when you were writing about that when you were talking about the great relationship i was like mm-hmm. yeah but where's the hoity-toity one yeah. <laughs> everybody's got a couple of friends that are hoity-toity i feel like <laughs> minnie is the peggy hill and daisy is the nancy gribble <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who also likes King of the Hill. So that's our hashtag King of the Hill podcast. Mm. Um, 
So also, because we're getting into the later years, the voice actors change a few times. Yeah. So then she was voiced by Marcelite Garner. She was voiced by Thelma Boardman, Ruth Clifford, Janet Waldo. But the most iconic voice actress to date is Russie Taylor, who inherited the role in 1986 and actually still does the voice to this day. I was born in 1986. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> She's been voicing Minnie for 32 for years. For your whole life. 32 years. For your whole life. That's my girl. I love that. Um, and she is also super important because in 1991, she marries Mickey. You're a liar. She marries the, the voice, voice actor. actors married each other? They marry each other. I can't even handle it. Uh, Wayne Allwine. You're a liar. I'm not lying. That's they marry adorable. in 1991. And they are married until he dies in 2009. Um, she also voices Martin Prince on The Simpsons. <laughs> Good thing. Good thing. Look, cartoon <laughs> voicers, I feel like people don't give them enough credit. No, they are on so many shows. So it's many. It's amazing the and crossover. They do, usually they do so many characters, too. Yeah. It's, it, it's just phenomenal the, the talent that it takes to do that and to do it well. Yeah. Like, I don't know if anybody's seen um, Big Mouth, but Nick Kroll is a comedian, and he, I love that show personally. <laughs> Our producer's shaking his head like he, it's the best show he's ever seen. It's so funny and very gross, and he there's an interview with him, and I didn't realize he does almost every single voice, so the whole, someone was like, I think Big Mouth is just Nick Kroll talking to himself is in the studio. Is it like Frank Azaria, like in The Simpsons? No, no. It's very like there's a hormone monster and they like talk very openly about like masturbation and <laughs> No, but I meant like puberty. the fact that he like does so many voices. No, no, no. Because they're like all the characters he does are like they make sense for him to do. Because like oh. it takes place in like a Jewish high school. Got it. And he's a Jewish comedian, Got I think. It. Is that right, Jake? He's Jewish. Okay. So, Is that right, producer? <laughs> Jake, I don't think people know. I just know. <laughs> I think this might be the first time we've referenced the name Jake. Really? We I've never said his name on <laughs> <laughs> You're out. But it's Hank Azaria. <laughs> what did I say? I think you said Frank. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> Couple letters. <laughs> Frank Hank, so Minnie Mickey, it's fine. <laughs> but I I feel bad because getting back to um, Rusty Taylor, she had a really hard time coming back to work because Mickey was dead to her. That How was can you her, do that? She Did she have to voice it. it with somebody else? Yeah. Oh, my God. How horrendous. Honestly, all right, not to get off topic. I am getting so off topic this episode. Who cares? I listen it's to... It's the season finale. Do whatever the hell you finale. want. I can do whatever I want. Everybody's in now. You're in. Um, <laughs> I was listening to this podcast recently about um, another husband and wife voice duo, voice acting duo. Was it me and Jake? No. <laughs> <laughs> but what they do is they do all the public service announcements for um, the UK. and. Not I, not all of them, but a good bit of them. Got it. And she was talking about how her husband did the voice for um, when an automatic door opens and there's like a gap. His voice comes Mind the goes, gap. Mind, Mind the, gap. the gap. Yeah. That's him. And she's like, yeah, so sometimes I'm in a place where I don't expect it to be. And then like she was like, I was coming out of a hotel one time and I just hear my husband go, mind the gap. And I'm bawling. Oh, I am absolutely because number How one, can I, you not? I cry once a day, anyways. 
I cry <laughs> ten times a day. Let me, All right, Alex let Dice. Me nine up you. <laughs> Shout out to Alex Dice. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, mind the gap. And this is also when Mickey Minnie's image is a bit more fleshed out. And she gets her cute little bows with her matching skirts. Um, she gets bows on her shoes. And her color palette is always changing. So right now, she doesn't really have a solid color palette. It's just whatever kind of suits the episode. Uh, but she's originally seen in a lot of blue and green. Um, but then later on, she starts transitioning into pink and red and polka dots. Ooh. So... Also, in 1942, her full name is revealed in a comic strip called The Gleam, uh, which is obviously Minerva Mouse, as we said earlier, but no one calls her that except for Allie and her Disney couple's bridal shower game. Um, it's true. Uh, <laughs> Allie tries to trick people. <laughs> I sure do. Barbara and Kenneth is Barbie and Ken. Barbara Rogers and yes. Kenneth. Um, if you've listened to this podcast, you know all the couple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't, there's nothing I can do about it that people don't know their pop culture. It's not my fault. I always win that bridal shower game, so tits up. I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> Come to more bridal showers that I proctor. <laughs> In 1955, <laughs> Disneyland opens and the Mickey Mouse Club TV show makes its debut. Which Thank is God a for you. Huge smash and runs until 1959 until it's canceled due to a contract negotiation. Lame. Um, but actually, since as early as the 1930s, the Mickey Mouse Club existed, uh, but they were more so like in theater events mm-hmm. um, that can only reach a certain amount of kids, and they're typically in California. Sure. Um, but with the TV show, they can reach like almost every kid in America. Because why not? Why not? So. And then, but that, so it ends in 1959, 1977, the new Mickey Mouse Club airs. That's literally what it's called, new Mickey Mouse Club, but that only lasts two years. Is it like New Hampshire? Then, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then in 1989, and this is the exact title, the all new Mickey Mouse Club airs. That's the year Taylor Swift was born. And of course, it is the year that the careers of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, Carrie Russell, a.k.a. Felicity, if you guys don't know her real name, and Justin Timberlake, that is when their careers are launched. Thank God for Disney. Bless you. I bless mean, maybe you. not the person himself, but bless the Mickey Mouse Club, the all-new Mickey Mouse Club in 1989. And then we can continue to bless them for people like Selena Gomez. Let me tell you, I love Selena Gomez. Wizards of Waverly Place was a good fucking show. It was a good show. And I don't care... Who knows? Who's the one I love? The other one. <laughs> Demi Lovato. I love you, Demi Lovato. I like Demi, Lo- Demi Lovato, too. She I'm more of a Selena voice. Gomez head. but Yeah. yeah. I anyways. hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Usually we do this in the second part, not in the first. Well, Minnie's important. <laughs> Minnie's very important. It's a season closer. We can do whatever the hell we want. We can do whatever we want. So you can break it up for two weeks then, and split it twice. <laughs> Go ahead. So then, uh, so obviously like this is super famous. Everybody knows it because you can see these videos of these kids and Ryan Gosling dancing in his parachute pants. What a treasure. What a treat and a treasure from mm. heaven. He's I no can't Marky Mark. get enough of it. So, but back to Miss Minnie. This is my favorite part of my research. In 1988, for the first time, she is the lead in her own television special called Totally Minnie. Yes, she is. Did you see that? I mean, 
I did you two. see this? You were two. Totally mini. I was two. But like I had totally mini like T-shirts and stuff. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this is really when like mini for girls yeah. is branded and really skyrockets. So this TV special, the premise of it is that mini turns nerds into hip guys using yes. the mini method. Good. And I love the example she uses is she like shows this picture of this um african-american male with this giant afro and goes see what happens when we're making a hip and they put a new photo over top of it and it's eddie murphy (laughs) (laughs) no it isn't i'm not joking like donkey from shrek (laughs) and And all they really did was they who does Chris Dol- Rock. Chris God Rock does. Damn it. Eddie Murphy does Mushu and Mulan. No, Jake says I'm right. What? <laughs> Eddie Murphy's donkey. No, he is not. <laughs> We're getting out the googs. I guarantee you it's Chris Rock. I feel like you might be right. Is Jake right? <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Who did Chris Rock voice? Mushu. Shit. What? I lied no. about that. But once Disney has you, they have you. I think they they only sign life contracts is what I'm sure of. All right. Well, anyways, they have one with me. Zebra in He's zebra in Madagascar. Who even cares about that movie? <laughs> Just kidding. I actually, David like, Schwimmer cares. I actually kind of like that movie. <laughs> it's Ross. actually a good movie. Ross Geller cares. Okay. Go ahead. So, <laughs> um, if you have ever wondered why people in the 80s have such horrendous self-esteem, it's because Minnie Mouse was calling them nerds. Uh, the whole- are we really going to blame Minnie for that? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing opens up. So, it's this guy. His name is Maxwell Dweeb. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Because, again, we're in the 80s. Is it Sean Hunter? <laughs> and... <laughs> he is sitting there watching TV with his dog and his dog is trying to watch TV and the dog is getting so annoyed because Maxwell is like playing the saxophone in his Mm -hmm. face and he's like, can you stop? I'm trying to fucking watch TV. And then the channel changes and it's a commercial. And one of the things that Minnie says in the commercial is this. I'm going to try and play it. Hopefully it goes. Do it. She says, do you find yourself acting like a nerd? <laughs> Is this where it's like, she's like, are you uncomfortable in social situations? <laughs> Is this like the difference between Steve Urkel and Stefan? Yes. <laughs> you mean Stefan Urkel? <laughs> that's, that's who I meant. <laughs> so according to the Wikipedia plot synopsis, <laughs> The film centers on nerd Maxwell Dweeb, who was a loner with no friends watching tele- and while watching television, he sees an advertisement for the Minnie Mouse Center for the Totally Unhip. Who wrote this? <laughs> who wrote this? A psychopath. This is after Walt Disney died. I want to be absolutely clear that shit didn't hit the fan until after Walt Disney died. In an effort to improve himself socially, he decides to attend. And it is hosted by Suzanne Summers. <laughs> yes, it is. Get it, girl. So he goes to the center and the makeover commences with lessons in styling, singing, dancing, and dating. 
It is so 80s. You want to cry nonstop. <laughs> she has these funny little outfits. Of course she does. Like Minnie looks very 80s. Yeah. You have to just look it up. There's Minnie even Mouse the- 80s t-shirts is what I grew up in. Yes. So let's be absolutely clear that they're good. <laughs> they're very good. Just the fashion and all of it. It's like an episode of Saved by the Bell gone crazy. Right. Where the girl's in charge and right. not exactly. fucking Zach. Zach Morris is trash. <laughs> I love those videos. Also, you should look at those videos. Everybody watch Zach Woo. Morris is trash. Man, this was like, <laughs> this is the like least amount of stuff I had on a person so far. And this is the longest I've taken. Well, here's the deal. To talk about this. Here's the deal. You, get, you did the mistake ahead of time of telling me you didn't have a lot. So then, so like, you're Phil. Okay, you're uh, vamping. I I'm get bolstering. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bolstering it up. <laughs> so I think my favorite portion of this. So he goes in and they put him in like Disney boot camp, basically, and they put him in this chair and they're making him watch all the old Disney shorts. Why not? And then like Suzanne Summers comes in and she's trying to teach him how to dance, and he puts his hand on her waist. Minnie comes in, slaps his hand away. Uh huh. And says, it's not hip to be a nasty boy. (laughs) You nasty boy. You nasty. And then it is a montage of all the times in old cartoons where the guys were drooling all over Minnie and trying to steal her. Would you like to guess what song is playing? Is it the one I just sang? Nasty by Janet Jackson. (laughs) And let me tell you. It makes the like the cartoons already look bad from a 2019 standard, but then when it's playing over top of nasty, it makes it look a hundred times they worse. They pointed this out so <laughs> In early. In 1988, Disney calls themselves <laughs> out. It. They always do that. They always do that. I love it. It's. The craziest like, thing. You ma- you are going to marry him and you met him in one day? Wow. Yeah. They, they love to call themselves out. Yeah. It's great. And then, of course, after this, uh, she sings a duet with Elton John. Because why not? Don't go breaking my heart. Because once you sign somebody to Disney, they work for they you forever. They work for you forever. You, soul- you sell your soul <laughs> to Lion King. <laughs> so... Of course, this special launched the Mini for Girls, like we talked about earlier, which coincided with a lot of merchandise, especially into the 90s when when Mini and Me launched. And this is what I like to call the pink plastic shit for girls era, (laughs) (laughs) where it's like really when the color divide in the Toys R Us aisles. Like, hey, I mean, if (laughs) Mini and Barbie are going to have some aisles, you better know which ones. You better know which ones. And the references in this special are so funny because the guy Maxwell is talking and he goes, I just know that even if I could be as cool as Bruce Willis, I'll never have a civil shepherd. (laughs) You're a liar. I'm not. That was said out loud. It was said multiple times. Here's the issue. I'm going to give you the one issue. Walt Disney hated dating himself. So like. Oh my gosh, During- that makes so much sense because honestly, those cartoons from the 40s and yeah. 50s, when I watched them as a child, mm. I thought they were from the 90s. Yeah. 
I didn't know that they were dated. He was mortified at like so like he's passing away right around the time of Jungle Book and hated that the vultures looked like the Beatles. <gasps> he was like, we are dating ourselves. This is not possible. We can't do this. It has to be that you can watch it forever and no one knows, which is why Cinderella fucking hits a home run every time because you don't know when it was made. Grand Slam. <laughs> That's a real sports term. Good job. <laughs> Best one of the podcast yet. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. So anyway, That's go ahead. True. And it, it's a good point too because totally mini is so dated that I it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts my heart. Um, also, Maxwell Dweeb. <laughs> I can't believe they named him that, it's but good. I also can. He's <laughs> played by Robert Carradine, which some of you might remember as the dad from Lizzie McGuire. Of course. <laughs> Which I'm a huge, I was a huge hey, fan of Lizzie We didn't McGuire. mention Hillary Duff earlier. Let's put that out there. Yeah, Hillary Duff. Another Disney Channel success story. Let's not mention, uh, we're crossing Amanda ourselves. Bynes. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda Bynes is gone. I had so much faith in her. You know, and she then... has Jake's exact birthday. No! They were born on the same exact day, April 3rd, 1986. <laughs> Jake, please! <laughs> We're dating ourselves now. Okay. <laughs> You're dating yourself. I'm older than that. <laughs> I will never forget because I didn't have cable growing up. I just, all I ever wanted to watch was the Amanda Bynes show when I was a kid and not what I like about you, like her sketch comedy show. Do you get the one where she sat on her bed? <laughs> Wait, no, that wasn't her. But, but do you ever get mad at kids today for Netflix? I get mad yes. about it. Yes, I do. You have everything you, have to, you want. You get to choose for five dollars. You know what? A little bit of a curse mm. because they're siphoning their experience. We got to experience a good portion of things because we did not choose. Mm. Like, think about how many white girls would not have watched The Proud Family mm -hmm. if they had Netflix. That's true. I think we all got to experience things together. Mm -hmm. They got to experience it was separately. Yeah. No, it's true. It's a collective experience. Mm -hmm. Like, did you catch the latest episode of whatever last night? Mm. All right. Mash. <laughs> We're not that dated. Shut up. <laughs> Dallas. Let's name other so, cheers. <laughs> so, of course, since then, Minnie has had a huge influence on pop culture while still maintaining her presence along her co-stars. There are just too many reboots of Mickey Mouse. And I, I'm not even going to call them reboots because they're just a continuation. Yeah. You know, like, I know I've seen it with the it's girls like the sometimes. Rangers. There's like, right. There's like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and then Mickey Mouse Funhouse and then whatever. You know, there's just so many. And um, like, I just, there were too many to focus on. So you can't do it. I was like, all right, she's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> she's currently the most uh, common character in the Disney parts besides Mickey, of course, because yeah. they typically appear together. Um, and there was actually a bit of, so I was like trying to find some more things and I looked up like Minnie Mouse controversy and there's only one. <laughs> mm, uh oh. Um, so it was in 2012, um, Barney's in New York had this virtual fashion show window display thing. Uh, with Disney characters where they were like putting the newest looks on them oh. and they totally slimmed down Minnie a bunch. No, and they did that to Merida from Brave. Skinny. Stupid. Mm -hmm. And people were calling her skinny Minnie and they were super upset. And mm. but uh, that's pretty much it as far as scandals go. Because she's the best. 
<laughs> I will give all the moms out there a super duper hint. Most girls, when they go to Disney World or Disneyland, they dress up like the princesses. But if your daughter dresses up like Minnie, Mickey will come up to you. Get out of town. No. He comes up and he puts his hands on his heart and he just like gives you the pantomime of like, I love you. And then like takes a picture with you like right in the middle of Disney World. So Minnie does not get dressed up like. So it's very easy to like draw in Mickey if you dress up like Minnie. It's beautiful. I love it. That is the best thing I've ever heard because I don't I only went once when I was a senior uh-huh. in high school. So I don't know those things. Yeah. And I don't have children, so I don't know the inside scoop. I didn't know. That and is such a Caroline good Caroline dressed up like Minnie because she wanted to. <gasps> and he like came over the coolest. and was just like, I love you. <sighs> and just like took pictures with her. Love it. So um, and <laughs> in 2000, on January 23rd, 2016, uh, Minnie served as the in- inspiration for Rock the Dots. Um, which is an <laughs> art and fashion show taking place in downtown Los Angeles. Along with Rock the Boat. I mean, she has had this incredible impact on fashion. Yeah. Um, because she really reflected a lot of the times that she was in. So she went from a flapper girl to these simple jersey skirts and bows. And even her signature polka dot skirt was inspired by Coco Chanel. Of course. Why not? And... So National Polka Dot Day is on January 22nd. So this interactive exhibit celebrated the aesthetics of Minnie's look by displaying this um, apparel from all these like amazing fashion designers from all over the world that were all inspired by Minnie. Right. Which is amazing. And then just in 2018, last January, we're actually coming up on the year anniversary of this in a few weeks on the 22nd, which is National Polka Dot Day. She finally receives a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Minnie! 40 years after Mickey. Lame. Lame, everyone. How crazy is that? It's stupid. Fucking, I, uh, so I read this whole article because this <laughs> the author was saying, all right, Rin Tin Tin had a star on the Walk of Fame decades before Minnie. And who the hell knew who, who is, that is? Do you know who he is? No. It's a German shepherd that played like a police dog on a show or who something. Cares? How did that random dog... I mean, obviously, he probably had a huge cultural impact when he was on. It was a boy dog. But it's not lasting, and he was a boy dog. Like, Woody Woodpecker, decades before her. Pluto, even. Long before Minnie. It's very frustrating. And But last year, she gets her thing. And actually, a lot of people credited the Me Too movement Yay, for her I'm getting Minnie. her star. Because they, I think they were trying to kind of backtrack and be like, no, we love women. What are you talking about? Of course. <laughs> like, look at Minnie Mouse. <laughs> We've always had women. Because this was just last year. <laughs> Minnie's always been saying, don't kiss me. It's fine. Right. <laughs> um, but I, she's just had this amazing impact. And she's so culturally iconic. Her look and her silhouette and her dress, like, I don't think you can. Th- I don't think you think of Disney without also thinking of Minnie. I really don't. You can't not. You can't not. And I think it's also important to note that she is much more than a sidekick, and Mickey would not be anywhere if it were not for Minnie. And that is the story of Minnie Mouse. <laughs> Behind every great man is a mouse that is a female. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Minnie, are you ready for some RBG cocktails? Yes, Let's I am. Do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll be right back. Back on, back on. Back on, back off. We just made some serious drinks. Yes. <laughs> I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried too. They had a lot of liquor in them. A lot of liquor. <laughs> so. And the second half is definitely not as forgiving as the first it half. It isn't. Of and podcast. all the things. I almost like doing the second half better because I feel like if I say something that's ridiculous, it's not my fault. Right. <laughs> Blame it on the yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody in the club get tipsy. Yes. So this drink is literally just called the Ruth Bitter Ginsburg cocktail. Cocktail. Tail. Perfect. It's great, and it has four to six ice cubes. Three so ounces. Specific. It's very specific. Well, if you're going Jeez, that's to <laughs> interpret the Constitution. <laughs> You do it specifically. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So it is four to six ice cubes, three ounces of dark rum, one ounce of ginger liquor or brandy, two teaspoons of orange juice, two to three pinches of ground cardamom, two slices of orange, which we have one on the edge, and two mint leaves slightly crushed. <laughs> I feel like all Are you ready the to extra drink this bad boy. Yes, I feel like all the extra things are garnishes i am gonna like so i'm not- gonna clink it and then i think i'm gonna take the orange i'm gonna squeeze yes. it and then i'm gonna throw it in perfect almost like a tequila drink yeah and it's a blood orange so it like adds Ooh. to the like veracity of the drink perfect. so we just did that you can do it too unless you don't drink in which case have a soda that it is-, is strong my god we're gonna be drinking some wine this half <sighs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg is balls deep. A, <laughs> I can't. Oh, it's such a strong cocktail. I <laughs> I mean, I'd expect nothing less of this but, woman. But damn. The more we get into her, the more this will be appropriate. But I don't know if we're going to leave here at a decent hour. <laughs> we have to work tomorrow. Everybody buckle up. Buckle your seatbelts because it's part of the law. (laughs) Click it or ticket. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to say that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the most wonderful season closer because I believe personally that she is the most direct feminist hero that we have covered thus far. Yes, because I honestly and I feel bad because I don't actually know too much about her. I don't think many you know people do. Like, I know that she's on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. I know that she is a champion of women's rights. Correct. I know that if she is not there, we're in rough shape. We're in <laughs> uber rough shape without her. And that's and I like and I know there's a movie coming out about her. Correct. That looks very good about on the her basis early of sex. life. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how she was kind of a champion even back then. So I'm excited to dive more into her. Yeah. Because I really, there's just so much about her I don't know. And she's become this pop icon. Yeah. In a weird way. <laughs> and I feel like then, like, you know her face and you know her image and you know her with the notorious crown on the right. side of her head. But you don't actually know very much of her story. So no. 
Or maybe I just don't because no, I don't know anything. Don't. I agree. <laughs> I agree that most people are like, oh, yeah, she's a woman on the Supreme Court. Clearly, that's why she's notorious. Mm-hmm. But that is not the case because right. at present, there have been four women on the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and she is notorious because right. she is specifically a feminist and mm-hmm. she specifically claims that to be so. Right. And this- I know sometimes I fall into that trap of like, oh, I'm supposed to be like, all in on Ruth Bader Ginsburg and like, you know, without exactly knowing ex- exactly what she does. You know, I know that she's this super big champion for women's rights and feminism, but to be honest with you, I don't know a lot about her. <laughs> I didn't know. And, and I have, at least I don't know as books much about her. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know as much as I should have. Right. So let's get down to the nitty gritty because okay. this woman is maybe the only reason that every woman in America has what they have today. Really? It is shocking what she has done and is not accredited for. She is the, what George Washington was to democracy of America. She is to women. Amazing. It is incredible. So let's do it. What kind of tree did she not chop down? Uh, not a cherry or tree. Chop down. <laughs> Maybe a blueberry Maybe bush. Maybe she didn't chop down that cherry tree. <laughs> she, That's why she's better than George She was Washington. never given the privilege of an axe. <laughs> she had to. <laughs> she had to uh, chop it down with her fingernails. She's no carry nation. Nope. No hatchets <laughs> for her. Joan Ruth Bader was born March 15th, 1933. So not that far off from Many. me. Yeah. Right. So only a couple of years later. She is born and raised in Brooklyn, New York to Celia and Nathan Bader. Uh, I love that little Brooklyn baby. I just, girl, you can hear her accent sometimes <laughs> come out when she gets angry and it is fun. Love it. Yes. Her father is a first generation Jewish immigrant from Russia and her mother is a second generation Austrian immigrant so she's full-on jewish i mean i feel like i have a trend now like this is my entire podcast (laughs) life historical jewish women (laughs) right is what i do um she did at that point have an older sister when she was born but when her old her older sister was six years old she died of meningitis (sighs) horrific now obviously Joan at the time does not remember that because right. she was only 14 months old, but her parents are now raising an only daughter of which they used to have two. So Ugh. let's talk about the two daughter thing. It's right. the best. So <laughs> that you know. would be so hard. Like mm, meningitis. When I learned about it in high school, that scared me so much. Cause what are you going to do? It, and like the spinal tap thing. And I know um, one of my very best friends, Mora, her sister um, displays all the attributes of Down syndrome, right. but she doesn't actually have Down syndrome. What she had was meningitis as a newborn. Ugh. Isn't that nuts? It is. And like, I don't know. It's just this thing that I am very afraid of for good reason because it's a horrendous thing. It is. And it's it's horrifying. And then to have a little child, a six-year-old child, right. you spend six oh my years. Gosh, she's six, so she's yeah. already like established. Like Liza's seven, to put that in perspective. Like it, that's messed up. So her name's Marilyn. She passes away, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg at this point, Joan Ginsburg, Joan Bader 
has so many nicknames right in her life. We know her as RBG mm-hmm. because it's the easiest to say. Yeah. Um, her <laughs> friends and family, though, knew her as Kiki. Kiki. And it was because Marilyn called her a Kiki baby. So everybody called her Kiki. And even her friends, like, that stuck with her oh, for so a really funny. long time. And I think a lot of people have nicknames like that that kind of stick. Um, her mom ends up finding out that there are a whole bunch of girls in her class named Joan, which is her first name, mm. Joan Ruth Bader, and ends up saying, well, let's just go by your middle name. Mm. So Big that's Joan of Arc here when people are having babies. Yeah. You Kinda know, like how every child's named Lily now Lily, because of because Harry Lily Potter. Potter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Joan of Arc was hip or like the Ashleys from recess. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So she goes by Ruth instead, her middle name. Okay. So that's why she gets the Ruth. And then the Bader, her middle name, is her maiden name. Okay. Um, so she's also, I want to point out clearly that she also goes by mom to two wonderful children and by Bubby to four <laughs> grandchildren, who obviously Bubby is Yiddish for grandmother. So it's the best because she's <laughs> 85 and adorable. Mm. Her friends say that she was quiet and just like magnetic she didn't do small talk she didn't do gossip and she would just sit and you stare off and you would think she wasn't listening and then she would come out with something profound like Mm. as a teenager as a child was like all in on stuff like that neither of her parents went to college really and um as a jew in russia her father was not allowed to attend public school and her mother was very into education, but she had a brother who was also into education and her parents could only afford to send one kid to college. So they sent him. Now, her mother struggled with cancer. Mm-hmm. A lot of Joan slash Ruth's older life. Mm-hmm. And the day before Ruth graduates from high school, her mother passes away. <sighs> And I think that's kind of like a, I know you've made it. I can let myself go type mm. moment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I see that you've gotten into Cornell. Like, right. it's cool. I can let myself be now. But right. it's like she made it just to Ruth's graduation. Ugh, and- it's always so sad when like, or like weird I guess when people like wait for that thing. Like I'm thinking about like when Nina Simone yeah. waited until she got that honorary degree from that school she was rejected from you have to. you know what i'm saying like i really do believe that people wait for things your body lets go once you feel comfortable yeah mm-hmm. in in letting go of the mess of the world right right so she says that she learned from her mother to be a lady and to be independent mm. which to me says get the glass slipper and break the glass ceiling right which is one of my like favorite things like people who are comfortable enough to do both which is something that rbg is Mm -hmm. she's comfortable enough to be like yeah i'm a wife and mother and also fucking one of 150 people who have ever been on the supreme court yeah like and those numbers are probably wrong but she's in like what the 150s 160s there's not a ton that's a lifetime appointment it is yes okay you 
That's let, bananas. Let go when I also don't know very much about our government. When you want to, I like, will fill I you know, in on the Supreme Court <laughs> details. I know a good bit, but like mm. I feel like a lot of the nitty gritty details. Right, okay. Like, I just get so lost in. So basic, basic drawback, and this is not in my notes, but the Supreme Court is, in my opinion, the most powerful branch of the government mm-hmm. because it's six people, right? nine damn it it's nine, nine. but it's okay. changed over the years it has changed <laughs> okay but it can't be an even number because then it'd be three and three it has Ooh, to be an odd number that's a good point yeah um but they make decisions only on cases that have been appealed and appealed and appealed and once yes. it gets to them they make a decision based on the constitution so it's not a personal opinion so like if it's a free speech or like a um search and seizure case they have to look at the constitution and say does it apply and does it not yeah and the thing that happened with the first supreme court is whatever they said becomes the new constitution so I personally believe that they are the most powerful branch of yeah. government because although they can only hear like 80 cases a year, mm-hmm. whatever they do becomes precedent for the rest of America. Mm-hmm. So like if they rule one way on abortion or one way on gay marriage or one way on holding a weapon, everybody else in the country has to do it regardless. Right. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it, like, they're like the last stop. It is. Yes. They are the last stop and it is crazy power and nobody can overturn the Supreme Court. And it's nine people. Ooh. Well, and that's why like it kind of hurt during the Kavanaugh hearings because it's like, do you not understand? Like this is because I knew that it was very it kind of hurt and it was a life. <laughs> it's a life appointment. Yeah. And there's not like. I get like they're their own checks and balances. Correct. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're the last stop. There is no right all other side of the aisle that's going to come back. Correct. Like, and it's, it's interesting. Only, as you said, nine of them. <laughs> right. So the goal of every president is to appoint somebody who is either very left or very right. Or most presidents say they're trying to appoint somebody that's moderate. But of oh, course, that's not true. <laughs> um, but Scalia, who passed away a few years back, was a very right justice. And obviously... Ginsburg is a very left justice, mm-hmm. but they're like the bestest of friends, Aww. which is adorable because it's like you work with this person forever and you disagree on the basic principles of the Constitution. And yet you're able to be friends, which is, I think, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Which we don't see in government. We don't, And that's that's what one of the things that I've had a hard time with recently is like you just don't see that anymore. Mm. And it like I feel like a super old person when I say this, but you know, it kind of bothers me. Like, I feel like a lot of the decorum is leaving. It is. From how we handle things. Like, yes. I <laughs> had a little bit of a, a panic attack the other day when I was, like, really siding with something that, like, Mitt Romney was saying. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's, like, the voice of reason <laughs> in, on the Republican side now. Do you now? remember when we like, were, like... <laughs> When he's running against I thought Obama. he would be the end of the world if he got yeah. elected. And now it's like, oh, dear God, please let Mitt Romney speak. And I'm like, who <laughs> am I? <laughs> it, it, became, it became a very like, um, oh, my gosh, we don't want this horrible person to be yeah. elected to. I miss the men of old. Right. Yeah. Or or I would like someone to put a sentence together. That's what I would like. <laughs> I would, not on Twitter. So, <laughs> he's, it's I'd like someone more with 120 characters. Yes. Or however many you get on Twitter. Get what you get. How many is it? 
Ugh. It changes. It's bigger what? now. It's bigger than it was. Oh, it used okay. to be like 60 and now it's like 120. Okay. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> so, or, or on anything I say. <laughs> so, she ends up getting accepted to Cornell. And at Cornell, at this time in history, there are four men to every one woman. And girls, she says, would suppress how smart they were because, like, you know, you want to, your end goal is to get married. Right. Like, you have to find a man. trick. Yeah. And four to one, like, if you can't find somebody. Right. Four to one, (laughs) you're a mess. Right. And (laughs) she, women, like, in that environment, she felt like if you fail, in class or if you raise your hand and you get the answer wrong you're failing not yourself but all women which yeah. is a minority group problem that when you do something wrong it's like everybody did something wrong and there right. are things like they taught most classes which they do now in most universities but back then it was like unique to have a socratic seminar which mm-hmm. is everybody sitting talking um and they wouldn't call on the girls so they didn't even have a chance because oh. it's four to one so it's like they couldn't even say the things they needed to say mm. um and this is when at 17 years old she meets Martin D. Ginsburg or Marty, who is mm. the love of her life forever. Marty mm. Mickey. It's adorable. It I matches. It's perfect. So he is the first person she ever meets who's interested in the fact that she has a brain and she doesn't understand kind of like, but is totally in acceptance of it. Like you love me. You love that. I have a brain. You're interested in my career. Mm-hmm. All the wishes I have, you're totally on board, <sighs> which is like, so before his time, which God bless you, Marty. Rest in peace. We love you. You were a good husband. Post-graduation, where she graduates as the highest ranking female student in her graduating class, she marries Marty Ginsburg one month after graduation, and they moved to Oklahoma because... Oklahoma? He, yeah. He was in the Army Reserves and gets called on active duty. She, with her degree from Cornell, works at the Social Security Administration office in Oklahoma, where she gets demoted for being pregnant. (laughs) She's pregnant and gets demoted. Now, she is lucky because at this point in history, most states could legally fire you for getting pregnant. She simply gets demoted. That's insane. It's like... That insane. was legal at some point. Because I do, like, I understand from a business perspective, like, if you're the big boss man, it's like, oh, this sucks. Like, I'm going to have this employee that's laid up for a little bit. But it's like, well, yeah, but do you want the human race to continue? <laughs> they didn't see this as connected. Right. They Employment did not. Employment and human race continuing didn't ex- coexist. Well, and I also feel like it was almost expected for the woman to be like, oh, okay, I'm pregnant now. So you know what? Forget about this career thing. I'm just going to go and do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I felt like they almost expected them to do that second half of it where you kind of like step aside. And then they had this back thing in their pocket of like, oh, you're not going to do that thing I expected you to do. So I'm going to just now fire you. Yeah. It became like a standard of women. Like if you didn't leave when you had a kid, Mm -hmm. You have made the mistake. Right. Right. Yeah. So she. And it's the perpetual catch 22 that women find themselves in to this day. Every single time. 
Because why would someone promote you if you're going to say, I have to go to my kid's concert at, right. at school. Yeah. I have to take off because my kid's sick. I have to do this, mm-hmm. which is the deficit of the co-parenting. Yeah. That there's no such thing. Right. It doesn't exist. No. In most families. Yeah. I'll be perfectly clear. I have a very equal marriage and it doesn't exist in my marriage. Yeah. So it's like, that's just real life. Well, yeah, because there's more societal pressure on you as the mother to be more present. Well, I told you that before, right? Like I drove Eliza somewhere one time and she was like, oh, this is the way daddy takes me when he's babysitting us. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, when he's doing what now? (laughs) And it's not it's not the fault of the male either. It's just societal pressure right. for both parties. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that has to be like overturned over time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she marries him a month after graduation. They move to Oklahoma. She gets demoted for pregnancy, but isn't let go, which says something for how cool she is. Yeah. Then they both end up enrolled in Harvard Law. Mm. Now... In Harvard Law, this is the master's degree, there are nine women and 500 men. That is way different than one to four. It's <laughs> insane amount of men. Because master's degree, what woman's going to go for a master's degree if she's married right. with children? How ridiculous. Right. right? That's a mess. Because again, it's that second step that you're like, hold on, you're not supposed to want to do this. Yes. This is going against your nature. And get ready on this. <laughs> The dean invites all of these nine women, the only nine women in this class of 500, to a dinner and asks each of them, what are you doing occupying a seat that could be taken by a man? Nothing makes me more absolutely furious than that bullshit. What the hell? I had a guy one time scream at me because so this is when I was studying in India and I was going to school there and it was the celebration of holy, which is like a really fun event. And you're like, you know, putting color powder, in, color, color powder, powder. It's, it's the color great. run. It's <laughs> but but only real, not the color run, the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he is talking to me and I was like, yeah, I'm a women's studies major. Da, 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 da. And he said, oh, OK, well, I'm mad at you then because I didn't get into the medical school that I wanted because they had reservations for so many women. And because women had to be let in, I couldn't be let in. I think the thing that is forever frustrating is when people feel they are disadvantaged when a minority group has been finally given a privilege. Right, exactly. So like this past year, or a couple of years ago, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's granddaughter was in the first ever class that graduated from Harvard with 50% men, 50% women. Mm. Just now. That's amazing. Just now. And it's like, well, what about all of that other time when the entire United States have been 50-50? Right. Like, we're 50-50, so are you. Just because we can bear children doesn't mean we can't go to Harvard. Right. And it's very frustrating because mm. the white men who... St- not all of them, but like, you know, a lot of them who still have these positions and these, you know, um, spots in these schools, you know, 
they're still working just as hard. It's just now your lazy ass doesn't get in just because of your gender and race. Mm. You know, they're opening it up at least a little bit more. Right. You know, let's acknowledge we're still in a society where that is the ideal, you know, (laughs) and and the ideal situation for getting RBG addresses that multiple multiple times mm-hmm. in her career and actually fights for men's rights a couple times really which is so interesting because she i'll get to it but she okay. uses it as a massive strategy to help men understand how gender inequality hurts everyone interesting she is so smart yes that <laughs> she is better than me <laughs> you are a god <laughs> so okay so let's do it. Let's do it. She well, she's going to Harvard, oh, right? At Harvard. She's nine women, 500 men. Um, There is a thing at Harvard called the Law Review, which mm-hmm. if you're going to think on Gilmore Girls standards, which is way lower. You know how <laughs> she's like at the Stanford Gazette? Yeah. The Law Review is like the master's degree that only it's not like a newspaper. It's like a. It is like an actual journal you're publishing. Right, like an academic article machine. And the Harvard Law Review, like Barack Obama, was the first black editor of the Harvard Law Review. Yes, correct. I didn't know that. Yes, so she ends up on the Harvard Law Review, which you have to be in like the top 35 of the 500 people in your class. So all the people, she ends up on the Harvard Law Review, which is like a massive deal. And she always contributes her success to Harvard as being a mother. She goes, I went home because her, she had a kid. Her and Marty had a kid after they graduated from Cornell and got married. And she's like, I went home and the nanny had to leave or the daycare. And I had to take care of my kid. And then that was my respite. And then they went to bed and I did my homework. And that's what I did. And that's how I progressed my life. And that little break gave me everything I needed. Now, in this time, Marty is also at Harvard Law. Mm-hmm. And Marty gets cancer. Oh, my god! And she does everything she can to get him to graduate. And it works. She not only organizes his friends to take notes, but she types the notes for him gives them to him and his assignments and types all of his papers as he dictates while she does her papers while she is raising her child. She's getting two degrees from Harvard Law and raising a baby while her husband has cancer. It's like she's a fucking queen and she's not even noted by society yet. Wow, I feel like a huge piece of shit right now. <laughs> I'm not gonna type my husband's papers. Screw him. <laughs> um, I isn't she the best? She's, she's like in best. her early twenties at this point. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe it. No. So her husband graduates and gets a job in New York as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. She goes, okay, cool, whatever. I don't need to be at Harvard. So she transfers to Columbia in New York and becomes the first woman ever to be on two law reviews. So she ended up on Harvard's law review and And Columbia's law review. Of course. Why not? Why not? (laughs) So she gets her juror's doctor in 1959. And then she states, quote unquote, being a woman was an impediment (laughs) because no one in New York will hire her. 
no one right and that's kind of like the frust like the <laughs> end after all the frustrating things already in the beginning and then at the end it's again nobody expects you to actually go through with it because you're a woman and you Not have children so then they're like okay now what do we do with you you're actually a lawyer like we're not going to give you cases and like <laughs> clients. Right. I mean, they're not even going to let her be a clerk. Right. She can't even do anything. But men from the universities decide they're going to like sponsor her, like sponsor her, not with money, but go out and talk about her. So they go around and they try to promote her and people are like, no, as soon as you use the she pronoun, no, 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 we don't want her. So they eventually get a get, pen name, girl. Yeah. Get it. <laughs> JK. Rumbling. <laughs> they eventually some people from the university are like look if you don't take her we're not gonna ever suggest any of our men to you ever again so take her so under threat they take rbg and she works there for two years then she becomes a research associate and then associate director at columbia law school where she decides i need to learn swedish so i can co-author a book and then she goes to sweden and finds out oh in sweden 20 to 25 percent of their law students are women and she's furious and this is where she figures out her life work i need to come home and fix america because sweden they got it right so right. she comes home and becomes a professor at Rutgers <laughs> Law School. Schools I can't even imagine getting into. She's a right. professor at. My friend Annalise went there. And Annalise is cool. I know we're friends on Instagram. So because we used to work together at NARAL. Get it, Annalise. <laughs> she's so cool. And I really hope she hears this because I really think she's a badass. She'll and like, <laughs> Did she, RBG teach you? <laughs> she posts because she went to Rutgers. Yeah. And she posts these hysterical videos where she's like, here's why everyone's wrong. And here's why you fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give her and this. I love it. Shout out. Shout out, Annalise. I'm going to tell you this about Rutgers. What? When RBG taught there, they told her, we're going to pay you less because you have a husband with a male income, so you don't need as much. <laughs> what? So. What kind of fuckery is this? It's a mess. It happens all the time. Again, to bring up vines. <laughs> Get on it. I cannot handle this one vine of DW from Arthur. <laughs> And she's in this store and she goes, how do you get a square balloon? And the person selling the balloon says, blow square breath. <laughs> <laughs> and she puts her hand on her mouth and like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something about and this voice overcomes. Like, what kind of fuckery is this? <laughs> hey, it's a wonderful time today. Man, what a great show. Where you can learn to work and play. Thank you, Ziggy Marley, Woo. for that song. <laughs> um, so, in 1970, she co-founds the Women's Rights Law Reporter, which is the first law journal that is exclusively about women's rights. She teaches at Columbia and becomes the first ever tenured woman there. In 1972, she co-founds the Women's Rights Project, which is with the ACLU, where she dis argues six gender rights cases in front of the Supreme Court. So she is a Supreme Court lawyer. She has to sit in front of these men and Sandra Day O'Connor, <laughs> who is there for some of them. 
and has to slowly, step by step, chip away at the rights. And this is her plan. She goes, I am not going to write a bill or I'm not going to go after like this one massive thing. What I'm going to do is the civil roots, civil <laughs> rights, civil rights movement <laughs> just happened. And I am going to slowly tag women's rights onto that mm -hmm. because if they have already decided that that's fine right all i have to do is convince them that women are a minority group you know that's what the mormons did when gay marriage got passed she's clever <laughs> this is one of the, my favorite articles from when i was in school and <laughs> it was about how mormons were very closely watching the the gay marriage bill because cool. they're like, all right, if gay marriage passes, maybe we'll get polygamy. Get it, get it, Utah. <laughs> and people are like, I know you're a cult. Get out of here. Yeah, shout out to the to the occult. If we're gonna go to the last episode, <laughs> mm. <laughs> Latter Day Saints, Seven Day Adventist. <laughs> okay, so I'm a Mormon. <laughs> she says. That in this time in her career and at present day, she believes that women's rights can be tagged on to the civil rights movement because it is as per let me say it correctly, <laughs> as pervasive and more subtle mm. than minority groups. And the fact that men, white men especially, did not acknowledge that gender was a minority group, was a problem. People right. didn't believe it was happening. People saw it with racism. Now, racism's mm -hmm. much worse. That's yes. what she says. It's mm -hmm. worse. Yes. You get the shit end of the stick with racism, mm -hmm. but people pretended that sexism didn't exist, and yeah. she was not going to have that. Yeah. Well, and I think especially like I'm thinking about like, I'm sure men were like, why would a woman want to do what I'm doing? Why would she want to be working? Wouldn't she want to stay at home with children and not and have, we will you know fucking what I'm get there. Like <laughs> it is so she is the best. She the reason you said that is because she fucking said it first. Perfect. Nobody understands that RBG is the whole reason every American woman says things. Mm. She's. She's a master. She's our master. She's the OG. It, she is the OG. She is the notorious. <laughs> so she fights these six cases in front of the Supreme Court as okay. a lawyer. She's a lawyer. They all get to know her as a lawyer. Okay. Step one, she fights this course. There's this woman in the Air Force and they don't give her housing allowance that they give the men. And she complains about it. And they go, you're lucky we'll let you in the Air Force. What? Don't you even damn ask about housing allowance. What? Fuck that. Fuck that. That's so outrageous. She gets this woman housing allowance. Love it. <laughs> so go ahead. Um, then she makes the best and smartest move you can make as an intelligent person. There's a father whose wife dies giving birth. And he has to raise his kid. And there's this benefit that the Social Security office gives to mothers who are widowed. But Ooh. he takes off work to take care of his baby and then tries to get the benefit from the Social Security office. And they say no. And she goes, that this is, is gender inequality. In. Yes. 
She says, gender inequality hurts everybody. Yes. And if you will not acknowledge that, then nobody will. So she brings a man who has lost his wife and is raising a child in front of the Supreme Court to be like, look at what gender equality does to one of you. Yeah. This white male. You're all white males. Minus Sandra Day O'Connor. Right. And they are like, okay, right. You're right. You're right. And also, like, I like that just made me think of the fact that changing stations are still not really in, in men's, men's bathrooms. bathrooms. <laughs> For dads. For dads. Dads change diapers too. And it's sometimes. Kind of, sometimes. <laughs> but like. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is one of that, those things it just made me think of that and like it is so funny though how like men totally rally around themselves yeah and they're like oh ooh, and she was smart enough to us? understand that okay mm, she knew they so needed smart. to relate it wasn't that she like wanted to rub it in their faces she was like let let me just let you think about what life would be like if your wife passed away right and you had to raise your kids so she does that and then she does Multiple other cases where there's like the woman makes more money than the man. So like the man should receive the benefits that a woman should. And she does like um, one where there's this like tax exemption for widows versus widowers. She also fights one as a lawyer on the fact that um, there's a woman on trial and there are only men on jury duty. And she's like, that violates the Constitution because oh, it's a yeah. jury of your peers. So a jury of your peers should mean blah, blah, blah. Right. And in this trial, which is frustrating, one of the justices, and this is recorded if you end up watching the RBG documentary, which you should, the guy's like, oh, well, so you won't settle for us putting Susan B. Anthony on a new dollar then? Like as a joke. <laughs> Did they say, oh, th that was so funny. Why are you making a joke out of the of a real constitutional issue? Right. Like, that's so condescending. I'm not going to. I'm, you can cut this Billy Madison reference out if you want. No, I won't. Thank you very much, Miss Lippy. <laughs> I, I am I'm mortified by it that she was in front of the Supreme Court as a lawyer and was like, hey, look, everybody's supposed to have a jury of their peers. That's in the Constitution. Well... If you don't have 50% women, that's not a jury of your peers. Right. And this is, I mean, and they made a joke of it. And it's happening still today. Ah! I mean, in the Curtis Flowers case, which if you um, have followed the podcast about Curtis Flowers, it's like he is on trial. He's on death row. And there's evidence that the guy struck down all these black jurors because they were black and it's like of course they're gonna give him the death penalty a bunch of white middle class people like it's not a jury of their peers it is shocking how much people don't understand what peers means right <laughs> <I know. laughs> so she fights all these cases and uh, to your point earlier mm -hmm. one of the things she says that we say now because we learned it from her in that time in history and present, I grew up thinking this, is that the reason we tell you to be ladylike, the reason we made these laws is because we want to put you on a pedestal. Mm. We want to make you better. And she says, 
gender lines, let me be clear, don't put women on a pedestal. It puts them in a cage. Mm. And it is such a passionate statement that everybody's like, hell yeah, girl. Mm -hmm. I'm getting out of that cage. Right. So she obviously makes significant advances for women under the equal protection clause in the Constitution. And um, Jimmy Carter sees this happening and Jimmy Carter becomes president. And he's like, I look around at the court and Congress and all these people. And all I see are people who look like me. So he decides he's going to make the court more diverse. And he brings in some African-American men and he brings in some women. And she's one of the people he chooses. So he nominates her to the U.S. Court of Appeals, which mm. is directly below the Supreme you know court. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to slowly appeal within your state and yeah. then within whatever. It slowly goes up. Mm-hmm. The, Google the court system. It's a mess. <laughs> so... She in the Court of Appeals gets this reputation as a level-headed jurist, and um, her husband Marty is arguably the best tax lawyer in New York, and straight up leaves his job because he is going to move to D.C. with Ruth because he understands that women's rights is a bigger issue than taxes in New York. This he, reminds me a lot of Emma Watson's He for She he movement. For she. He's amazing. You know, because a lot of people criticized her for that. Correct. And, but it honestly, it's important. Like, I don't think that women necessarily like need a man to accomplish what they need to accomplish. But in order to benefit women as a whole, they need to get on board. Yeah. Like, everybody needs to be on the again, same boat. We can't improve women women's situation as a whole if 50% of the population is not okay with it. Yeah. And he was 100% okay. That's amazing. He was is so he cool. Is he cured of cancer now or is that something he's going to battle for the rest of his life? Like He's gone. Wait, what? What Marty, do you mean he's gone? Marty passed away. What? In 2010. No, I mean <laughs> I'm talking about right now in the story. Oh. Yeah, at present. Wait, so, I know he's dead right now. Yeah, I'm okay. In this so story. he had cancer. He <laughs> was in remission. Yes, at okay, present. At this point in the story, he's he is in remission. in remission. Yes. Okay. So Marty's in remission. Good, because I like him. I, we all do. God. <laughs> Everybody go on Hulu and watch RBG for free. It is like. Get yourself a Marty. Oh my gosh. Get yourself a Marty. I'm so, serious. If you are a woman in the 21st century and you are not partnering yourself with someone who believes in basic feminist principles get it if, together and you can if train them producer you will, can train them will not give you the finger while you're <laughs> discussing him then you're in the no, no, no. wrong category jake i think you believe in basic feminist principles i'll give you that i really do <laughs> i believe that too why would he not why he would he allow this podcast he wouldn't him? that's the thing he wouldn't this is the thing. Also, no one needs to allow me to have a podcast in my home. Exactly. <laughs> Let's say exactly. that. Exactly. We're a team. We're a team. He makes sure this I don't know shit if happens. I can drive home. I thought this <laughs> thing was falling over, but it wasn't. No, I just came out like the bad guy. Okay. 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 Jake didn't say or do anything, Mm-mm. but he is my Marty. And everybody who's been listening yes. knows what that means. Yes. Actually, because you're Marty. Casey's my Marty. Yeah. 
You need a Marty. Sometimes I think Casey's just too scared of me to say anything other than. <laughs> <laughs> that's on air. He's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. All right. <laughs> that's what he does to me, too, though. <laughs> Maybe he's just a nice guy. Casey's the nicest person that ever existed. Casey. That's the thing. Casey, he really is. And like, I mean, I could I could gush about Casey for the rest of my entire life. And that's what I'm going to be doing. But <laughs> accurate. I mean, you're an a- that's an accurate statement. <laughs> Anyways, and this Marty, <laughs> this Marty, <laughs> he goes to D.C. with her and people like ask her like along the way. They're like, what's it like to live in D.C. while your husband's in New York? And she's like, he he came here with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> And they're shocked. It, we're together. Like and people are like he moved for you. But yeah, I'd be just more shocked that he moved to D.C. because it's a terrible place to uh, live. I mean, but from New York, <laughs> they're both terrible. <laughs> but like in New York, he was like a tax lawyer. And I think the perspective of Marty is women's rights are so much more important than taxes yes. in New York. And he understood that as a lawyer, as a good lawyer, he got it like what she's doing is better than what i will ever do so like their kids in interviews and stuff they're like yeah our parents shared parenting parenting dad did the cooking and mom did the thinking (laughs) (laughs) which is so cool like mother knows best yeah i love that he like and he was cool with it and he she's very quiet and reserved you've seen pictures of her Mm -hmm. he was like her gala partner he did the speeches he did the promoting he did that and he's funny and he's smart and he like knew about the law and he's just the best and she's just the best and they're the best together and it's perfect so bill clinton (laughs) in has to say somebody's going to be on the Supreme Court. And he just had a scandal with women. So Mm. he's going to be like, obviously, this is a political move. So in 1993, he... Can I ask you a quick history question? Yeah. I feel like an idiot for asking this. Don't. Did he have two terms? Yes. Okay. When he had two what terms. term did the Lewinsky scandal happen? First. Amazing. Amazing. That's insane. To <laughs> <me>. <laughs> because what? today, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, cross I my fingers know, today. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that won't happen. But at the end of his first term, there's a spot that opens up on the Supreme Court and he has to nominate. So of course. of course you nominate a woman you change the public opinion by shifting moving those chess pieces right so he nominates this woman which in all his interviews about her he's like she was thoroughly impressing like she is queen bee so he nominates Ruth Bader Ginsburg mm. and she is only the second woman ever. And he's trying to increase the court diversity. She's the first female Jewish person to ever be on the um, Supreme Court. And I think that also gets lost too, like the Jewish mm-hmm. aspect of it. Yes. Because she is a Jewish female. She was born in what you said, the 1933. 33. 1933. This is before so the before um, World War II. World War II, yeah. Like and, that's also very impressive yeah. that, I mean, obviously, it first wasn't and as second bad generation here. immigrant. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, and being in, she says being in America was the sole reason. She's right. the American dream. That's yeah. what she is. Yeah solely yeah so she ends up doing that and uh 
in her speech, which we saw with Kavanaugh earlier this year, you have to sit and give an entire speech for a long time and answer mm. questions and do your shit. And she does that. But one of the things she says, she quotes a female abolitionist that says, I ask no favor for our sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their foot off our neck, mm. which is like, amazing and then she's ballsy as hell and brings up her beliefs on abortion what? at her civil supreme court hearing at the hearing at the hearing that is ballsy because normally in 1993 normally at you're as born normally <laughs> i feel like people would be like i'm gonna stay chill on this for a hot second and I then let everybody I'm decide in, later right and then when i'm in i'm gonna be like whatever because it's a life term appointment, so <laughs> can't vote me in. I can do what I want. Exactly. Right. Woo. What she a brings brave it up. soul. I can't even talk about abortion with my family. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, with me though. With you. So <laughs> she straight up in the hearing goes, the basic thing is that the government has no business making choices for women. No. Go ahead. They girl. don't. <laughs> Go ahead, girl. She's in 1993 preaching abortion rights. Nobody has any idea what's happening. Yeah. And she ends up being approved 96 to 3, which is amazing for the Senate to be like, yeah, a whole hell of a lot of us think she's the best ever. And uh, she got the well-qualified thing, which is the best possible rating. Mm -hmm. um, she often says with the Supreme Court, oh, the ideal number of women on the Supreme Court is nine. <laughs> because <laughs> if we don't think it's going to be awkward for there to be nine men, we should never think right. it's awkward for there to be nine women. Mm -hmm. And she's just so cool. I can't even understand. So... When she gets on the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor is there as the first female Supreme Court justice. Um, but she retires and a whole bunch of other liberal justices retire, which is hard because if there's nine of you and she was originally inducted as a moderate justice, if there's nine of you, you slowly have to move up and down the spectrum. So like if a whole bunch of moderates leave, you have to move kind of left yeah. or you have to move kind of right. Mm -hmm. which is your job because you have to interpret the constitution. That's your goal. Mm -hmm. Some people interpret it, which is how Scalia did pre his death mm -hmm. as I'm a man in the 1700s. And this is what George Washington thought. Some people interpret it as this is how they meant it today. Or BG is a how you meant it today or Yes. So she had to move a little bit to the left to make this happen. Her in this time, she becomes the great dissenter, which is not something she ever meant to be. So whenever there's a Supreme Court decision, there's a majority and a dissent. And she becomes the dissent, which is her fame. So even if it doesn't get passed, like she is still the voice of like, I wasn't OK with this. And it's the first time in Supreme Court history that that happens. So at, the, at a Supreme Court hearing, what happens is you hear the case. Okay. And the Supreme Court comes out and one of the justices, usually assigned by the one head guy, mm -hmm. 
tells who's going to write it and then they read the majority opinion. Mm -hmm. She decided that it was appropriate to read the dissent. So if it's 5-4 or 6-3 or 7-2, she reads the dissent and the last line of everything she disagrees with is a powerful statement and then, comma, I dissent. Mm. And then she made it better by getting the outfits on. Her and Sandra Day O'Connor decide that the men all wear the American justice robes because it has a V in the middle and it shows your tie. But women don't wear ties. So they go with the French robe that kind of buttons up the side. Robe. Interesting. And then they wear collars. And you mean a freedom robe? It is. <laughs> Throw back to freedom fries. Freedom. <laughs> Thank you, the French. We love you. <laughs> Sandra's wearing like her scarfies and her ascots and whatever. Mm-hmm. But RBG like gets sent from all over the world. These beautiful collars. People mm. send them to her from Egypt, from China, from wherever. She has them from everywhere. But she has two distinct ones. There is a majority collar, which is yellow and cream with crystals that she wears when she speaks a majority opinion. Now, when she's hearing the cases, she can wear whatever the hell she wants. But when she's giving an opinion, there's the majority collar. And then there's the dissent collar, which is what she is Famous for it is black and gold with stones embroidered and it's beautiful and it like reflects the light and people know before they speak when she walks out of the door that is her either agreeing or disagreeing with what the court says. So people know because of what she's wearing. That's amazing. What the hell is happening? And it has become her descent collar. And people have it as a necklace and they have it as jewelry because it is her saying, I dissent with what the court says. And there are so many times in American history that this has happened and in her history. So there's a couple of times she's, been majority rule i mean several they hear like 80 cases a year so she does a lot of shit she's a grown-ass woman but there's one in her early career for the virginia military institute where they had they were a male only admittance and they um got a Supreme Court case because they wouldn't let women in. And she has a couple of arguments and I do too. And I want to know your opinion on this because she's like, okay, if you're going to have a male only Institute, you need to give me an exclusive reason that justifies it. That's one. And then you need to tell me too, why women can't categorically handle it. And three, you need to give me another female option. For them to go to. And this is the best military institution in Virginia. And I personally, I'm hitting my mic a lot. I'm sorry. You are doing that a lot. I don't know why. (laughs) I'm using my hands. I'm sorry. She, here's my problem. Growing up in a private school, I was always taught that girls and boys were separated because boys can learn better when girls aren't around because girls are distracting. I feel personally as an adult that that is excusing male behavior by saying they are worse when women are around. Right. Well, and I also think that 
why can't you put a positive spin on it and say, oh, women learn faster than men, which is actually true, and they develop faster than boys or whatever. So that's why, you know what I'm saying? Like, why is the negative onus on the women? Mm. And that like, we're such a distraction. I got, I actually, I got really angry at somebody who was a Christian homeschooler that took classes at my school because I also went to private Christian school. And he made this big post on MySpace about, <laughs> this is back in the MySpace age. Um, Who's your top six? <laughs> <laughs> he was not, obviously. And, it's Tom. <laughs> and I remember he made this big post about how angry he was at women because they wore shorts in public. So therefore he had a problem with pornography and he felt like he was sinning because women wore shorts in public Mm. and he was so angry about it. And I thought in my mind, like this is a fucked up thought process that they are allowed to have because they are taught that women are the problem. So it's like, it's not your fault. Women are the problem they have shorts because it's they wear shorts because it's hot in the summertime and then that gets you all riled up when it's like girls have hormones too we're just in better control of them right (laughs) and i like i struggle with it even at present day because i do as a teacher have to enforce dress code right and it's like a thing i do so like if a girl comes into school in like shorts and a belly shirt, I have to be like, okay, put on your hoodie or put on your shirt. Is that hard? Like it's very hard because it's like, I do, I understand the concepts of modesty. Right. And like what I have to say to her as a female is, Hey, you know, you're coming into a body that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And you're not a girl anymore. You're a woman. Right. I'm still waiting on that body. Yeah. So I don't know that experience. I paid for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what you do. <laughs> so I tell her, I'm like, honey, like it's not, none of this is your fault. You're not yeah. a bad person. Mm-hmm. All it is, is that as a woman, you are trying to portray yourself as the best fucking person you can be. Yeah. And like, it's so hard because you can't degrade men without saying it because I don't necessarily think men are at fault either. I think that my middle school male fathers are at fault. Yeah. I had a father literally come into American education week one time last year. I won't say one time last year and say, I can see why my son likes social studies so much to my face. Did you say, can you not? Like, I have a PhD. <laughs> Your can wife you, is literally next to you. <laughs> can, can you fuck off? Can you not talk second? about my looks? It's my look. Like, and I'm not, I'm not even, a, like, I'm, I'm maybe well, a seven. Is, though, you know what? There were some, there are some hot male teachers, but no parent of a young middle school girl would come in and be like, Ooh, I see why she likes computers so much. Mr. Morgan, like (laughs) (laughs) you're looking good today. Like (laughs) that. Why is that like so out of their own possibility, but to tell a social studies teacher that they're what? All right. They're 12 year old. I'm so sorry. I think because we sexual, like it's weird. Like we sexualize girls at such a young age. 
It's thousands but we give and thousands boys, of years of it. But we give boys sexual agency much sooner than girls. But That's the problem. Saying, the sexual agency. You say it's a boy. He's a boy. Boys will be boys. Bo- mm. No phrase in the English language makes me more angry than boys will be boys. That and tomboy. She's a tomboy. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are. Well, that one I have a hard time with because like I so considered myself a tomboy and like obviously looking back on it it's like not fair not fair but also there were three girls in my class until fifth grade you always had me (laughs) i always had you (laughs) and i'm a nothing (laughs) (laughs) everything stop i'm I'm everything it's true all right we need to get back on track and i do apologize no why this is the finale gender (laughs) i mean that's what people want they tuned (laughs) out of a finale (laughs) We talked about the uh, we talked about Virginia, right? Women getting rights, going yes. to school together with boys. That yes. was the thing. So then we were. <laughs> there's another case that comes up to the Supreme Court. Okay, and it is a woman who finds like a whole bunch of male, like quote unquote receipts, and finds out what all her male co-makers co-workers co-workers are, co-workers <laughs> are making and they fi- she finds out it's so much more and she is like the same as them so she r- ends up in the supreme court and she loses but Ooh. rbg reads a dissent and <laughs> says men on this excuse me men on this bench have no idea the secrets that companies keep from women mm-hmm. and that is her statement for Ever. She constantly tells the men on the Supreme Court that you don't know because you were not a girl. You do not get it, which is beautiful. Yes. And then there's a search and seizure case where there's a 13 year old girl and they make her in her school strip to her bra and <gasps> underwear what? in order to search her for drugs. And then they they fight for it in the Supreme Court. And she goes, oh, well, clearly the people on this court have never been a 13 year old girl. She constantly is satirical towards them, which mm. is beautiful. She's so good at being like, I, I dissent, but it's because you clearly have no idea. And every woman in America is like, hell yeah, bitch. I love it too, because it's like, what are you going to fucking do about it? Yeah. Like even if she, can she say doesn't, what she wants, she can't get thing. fired. Even if she doesn't like win the case, like, the fact that she dissents means yeah. so much because it feels like you have a person on your team. And I want to be perfectly clear that the fact that she dissents means so much is only because she did it. She yeah. is the first person in history to read a dissent from the bench. Mm-hmm. She decided after people read the majority, I'm going to read the dissent. That is all her. Mm-hmm. She decided I want people to know why I disagree. And it's so cool. Mm. So then, like, okay, she becomes the third woman ever to administer an inauguration. And it's for Clinton's second term, which he appointed her. I know she doesn't. I'm sure she doesn't love Clinton for his actions. (laughs) But she's the third woman ever to do that. She becomes the first Supreme Court justice to ever officiate a same-sex marriage. Because she's like, hell yeah. Then... In 2016, she um, does not turn a blind eye to Trump. 
She Oof. makes some statements, which is very bad for a Supreme Court justice to do. She makes some statements about Trump. She has to eventually apologize because as your position as a Supreme Court justice, your right. goal is only to read and interpret the Constitution. Right. And she apologizes. You're to be neutral without yes. being actually neutral. Totally <laughs> neutral, but you can't be neutral. But the thing I love about it is that even the most successful woman politician of judge of all time cannot turn a blind eye to Trump. Oh she yeah. She could not physically do it mm -hmm. as like a 78 year old woman yeah, or an 80 year old woman at that time, whatever mm -hmm. it was. We know her best because in 2013 they changed the voting rights act, which was the one where they were like, Oh, black people can vote now. Right. So who cares? <laughs> and she made the statement that's popularly shared on Facebook that nobody knows it's from her, but she goes, Oh, so people threw out an umbrella because they were dry during a rainstorm. Right. Yeah. That's her. Everybody who shared that RBG said that yeah. <laughs> now, you know, and she also in 2013 was like massively angry about the fact that religious rights won the fact to say that birth control could not be given to women via health benefits in religious institutions. There and is not much more that makes me angry in this world than bad crisis pregnancy centers. She said they, they, they don't understand what birth control is for. Clearly. Well, yeah, you don't get it. I mean, I saw that firsthand when I worked for a nonprofit that was trying to get emergency contraception in vending machines on mm. campuses. And yeah. we literally had stories of women, young women, college aged, college aged women being sexually assaulted on campuses. And the one girl said, there was no excuse for mine. I was walking home from a Harry Potter movie marathon at 1130 at night in my sweatpants and my university hoodie. But what was she wearing? I, right? <laughs> like, she's like, and like, she brought that up and she was like, you know, this is what I was wearing. I was sexually assaulted by a group of grown men who came onto the campus. She was like, and I didn't know how to get emergency contraception. And it was so scary. Yeah. And that was why we were fighting for this bill. And then... This one, you know, lawmaker asked the question. They're like, well, I can't support this because it's encouraging women to have like free range sex and like it doesn't protect against STDs or whatever. Or like, and it was like, but that's not the point. Like <laughs> the point is that if you are sexually assaulted on campus, you don't have to worry about getting pregnant by your assaulter because in the state of Maryland, I can't remember. I feel like this was repealed recently. But if it is not still on the books or if it was recently appealed, a rapist still had parental rights to the child. Correct. Which is fucked up. Crazy. So, ooh, sorry. It was yeah. just like the it was so frustrating sitting there in that courtroom, you know, because that was the only experience I've ever had, like in a courtroom fighting for legislature and then they are just asking the dumbest fucking questions to try and just get it off the ballot you know mm. and of course it failed and like we don't have emergency contraception on every campus in maryland right no, now you don't but anyways <laughs> i mean it's a mess it's a mess because of what is stewed in our society but mm -hmm. it's so much a step further yeah like yeah 
This fucking girl. She was ahead of her time. She scratched at every glass ceiling she could get her hands on. Yeah. <laughs> this woman. In 2018, she finally came out and commented on the Me Too movement and was like, I am so happy that men and women who have encountered harassment can finally say something. And she reflected on her time at Cornell and said that a professor attempted to trade sex for an exam grade, <laughs> which is like, okay, so for Ruth Bader Ginsburg to come out and be like, hashtag me too, is like, hell yes, you're the yeah. best ever. I love right. you. I, God, I can't imagine how many times in a sea of thousands of men and you're the only smart woman that exists, like, that this happened to you. So mm. just for background, Marty is the best tax lawyer ever. Her daughter, Jane, ends up as a professor at Columbia Law. Her son, James, is the president of a classical music recording company mm. that he made. She's got four grandchildren, one of which graduated from Harvard. She, in 2010, had her 56th wedding anniversary, who Marty died a couple of days later from um, his cancer complications. And that was, like, mortifying for her because they literally loved each other. That's so rare to see yeah. in public. But they were just infatuated. The pictures of them and the moments of them. Her health personally in 1999, she had colon cancer and then she got a personal trainer and they've worked together for over 20 years every, you know, a couple times a week. And um, in 2009, pancreatic cancer got caught really quickly and they got rid of it. So she's had colon cancer and pancreatic cancer? Correct. Ugh. And then in 2014, she had a stint put in her heart in her right artery but she has never, at that point, missed a day on court. Mm. We are now currently at present day living in history because she just now, today, a couple weeks ago, got <laughs> um, two cancerous nodes removed from her lungs. And this is the first time ever that RBG has missed court session. She's missed four days and they send her the transcripts and she reads the debates and then reports back and they still accept what she is saying in full confidence in her decision, but she's not physically there. And this is the first time since like 1993 that RBG has not appeared in the court, which is horrifying because she is a fucking hero for women. So beyond all of this, People told her when Obama was leaving, you need to leave your position. And she said no. And I think this is the last fight for human female rights that she made. Like, it doesn't matter if Trump is president. This is my fucking job. Right. And I'm going to do it until I cannot physically do it. Do not tell me to leave my job. And I feel like that is such a strong statement because she knew she knew that possibly a Republican president would fill her position. But she also had the confidence in the fact that she did such a good job that somebody could follow her in as much 
greatness. And also, there are two other women on the Supreme Court at right. present besides her. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not, like, she, there are four women ever on the Supreme Court out of, you know, hundreds, yeah. uh, 150 or whatever. But there are two now. So she can leave and consciously be like, there are some women rights being fought for. So at present, she has been the inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. She's in the 100 Most Powerful Women, the 100 Most Influential People. She is one of the four women ever inducted into the Supreme Court. Kate McKinnon has impersonated her on <laughs> SNL. Love- multiple times i love kate mckinnon and i do love her impersonation so good she has become a pop culture icon she has tattoos she has nail art she has halloween costumes and she's in rbg which is the documentary on hulu for free that you can watch that i watched it's great or you can go into theaters now and see on the basis of sex which is her in her younger years and she is the closest possible thing that women have to Martin Luther King Jr. And what's crazy is that people don't know she exists. There are so many influential women, but I don't think people get that she is the stepping stone right. for every fucking thing that women have done in the last mm. hundred years. Many walks, so I RPG, RBG could drive and jojo see what could fly get it get it that's the technology continuum that was a rambling miss it was good i would also hate to think that rbg led this jojo siwa if if somebody had to let it be her but (laughs) let it be what an amazing story isn't that it's crazy? Un- Did you know that shit? No. And this is one of those episodes, too, where, like, I, <laughs> I'm i staring straight ahead to try and concentrate on what you're saying because, number one, I'm I'm drunk. And me number too. two. Hashtag me too. <laughs> I'm just so hard trying to comprehend all the things that she did. Can you believe it? I can't. I can no. either. It's too much. It's too much for one person. It's almost more like when I think of your life. Oh, and I think, oh my God. Allie. Don't you dare. You shut the fuck up. <laughs> Don't you dare. I have done nothing. I'm no RBG, Katie. You're no RBG, but you're much more than a KEG, <laughs> which is me. <laughs> no. No, no, Yes. No. Honestly, I tell people this all the time. I go, I don't know how my sister-in-law does it. She's like this amazing person who runs marathons and has two children. And I is, drink a lot. And drinks a lot and is actually <laughs> a good mom and does all like... This whole thing is happening. This finale is a mess. But I think <laughs> that we need to get to. <laughs> Just the two of us. This we girl. Can make it if we try. I didn't think we were going to go that far. I needed to for my own sanity. I hear you. So I am <laughs> so enthralled by the outfits. I yes. think Minnie is so traditionally polka dot. That Mm -hmm. it is like, oh, Minnie, of course. She's in either pink or red and has Mm -hmm. polka dots. And it's like when when RBG walks out and she is in her collar, that is like her shit 
it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's majority opinion or dissent. Everybody mm-hmm. in the room knows what she thinks about the case, which is like, hell yes. Mm-hmm. Paint it on your fucking face. Yes, absolutely. And I also feel like that, like, because Minnie is a cartoon character, her clothing means a lot, but it also means absolutely nothing. Because yeah. for one thing, if she's in, you know, Minnie Mouse and the Speed Star Roadsters, there was one thing I read about where they're like on a racetrack, which I guess is to bring in the boys. I don't know. No, it's a really like, good cartoon. I've seen is it? it? Okay. But <laughs> it's like an hour and a half and it's great. <laughs> but she wears like overalls or like a, like a Teamsters road uniform. Yeah. And that is to signify that like, that is not this many, this is that many. Right. And you are to, understand that like in this cartoon she knows a lot about cars and you should listen to her right she knows what she's doing and she might win right exactly and rbg is the same way she's like i'm gonna come out in this fucking color because i dissent and i'm gonna tell you exactly why i dissent and how powerful is that to to be a confident enough woman to say, not only am I going to disagree, but I am going to be the first person and the continuous person in history to come out in every Supreme Court hearing and say, this is why I disagree. Well, I love it, too, because I feel like she has not always been this pop culture. It is she hasn't just been. in the recent years. So she was doing all of this. Without any recognition, you know, I'm sure she got some and I'm sure a lot of people in those spheres Mm. knew about her. But as far as the general public knew, there was this woman fighting for women's rights that I didn't know existed. And she had to do all of this slowly, like because she was originally inducted to the Supreme Court as a moderate. But as liberals left, she had to slowly move more to the liberal side, Mm -hmm. which is what every Supreme Court justice does. They figure out your colors like the longer you're in there. Scale of one to ten. Right. Where are you? (laughs) And if somebody at a scale five leaves, everybody has to adjust. Right. And I also I think, again, the interesting part between a person who is written because Minnie is a written She's make believe. She is make believe. She is written, and RBG is so herself, and she writes her own story. And I think yeah. that is a very important distinction to make. Mm. And also because Minnie was written by mainly men. I mean, there was some cartoonists who were women, which also is kind of funny to me that she was so staunchly against like. Mickey being inappropriate with her in Mm. those early cartoons. Do you know what, though? I truly and honestly, (laughs) this is going to sound weird. I truly (laughs) and honestly believe that that is what at the soul men believe. But I feel like society teaches them different. Yeah. I feel like and I feel like Marty and quote unquote Mickey are part of that. They want a companion. Mm-hmm. They want somebody who's going to tell them no. They want someone who's going to be better than them and equal to them and worse than them all mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. But I don't think that Mickey is as comfortable sharing the spotlight. No. You know what I'm saying? Like that was one of the very frustrating things that I found when researching Minnie is everything is about Mickey. 
Mm. And it was so incredibly frustrating. Like there is no net worth on Minnie Mouse as a character Mm. because everything is tied up in Mickey. And she is only in relevance to Mickey. And that was very frustrating. It's almost like an Adam and Eve thing. Like you can't have one without the other. Right. And I know that they were created artistically as a couple but it is a little frustrating that she only exists as in he exists Mm. (laughs) and that she doesn't have a separate self-worth even though if it wasn't for her I really don't think that it would have taken off as much as it did because it would have been just so exactly like every other thing on the face of the planet and it's interesting because the Disney franchise makes so much more money off the princesses. Like, Oh yeah. Peter Pan didn't make money. 101 mm-hmm. Dalmatians didn't make money. Like shocker. Bla- I love that movie. Black. Ca- I love it too. But mm-hmm. like black cauldron didn't make money. There's no merchandise. No, like there isn't something there for people to purchase. And if you are purchasing something, and this is probably saying something about our culture, if you're going to purchase a cartoon, something it's going to be for a little girl. Right. And part of me feels like that's because you're giving little boys things like skateboards and basketballs and a track to run on and like you see goofy running across these tracks and jumping over these hurdles and you don't see that with Minnie. Mm-hmm. So you have to buy her these things to make her happy like a hairbrush and a mirror and a bow mm-hmm. whereas a boy you don't need to buy those things. Those right. things exist in society and you just need to drive him to them. Mm. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, that's a very good point because I feel like all of the female toys come with so many little accessories oh yes and i know that it, that changed when star wars came out or not when it came out because that was in the 70s yeah. but when my brother zach was younger he was obsessed with all the star wars toys and right. they came with a lot of little parts and things like that but <laughs> but it also like that kind of conflates like okay boys who don't fit the typical stereotypical mold of like, we're going to give you a basketball and tell you to play outside. Mm. You are more female than male. So we are going to give you this thing that has parts and accessories and stickers. And like, you have to put them all in the right spot and you are being put in this box of toys that, you know, as a kid, like you're not even thinking about, but as an adult, you're like, whoa, I see it. I see it a hundred percent. Like, It's also painful because some, I think, some of the female toys come along with pressures of your gender. Yeah, they really do. I wouldn't need this intense hairbrush if I didn't have to have this long hair. I wouldn't need to understand how to clean out my bacteria-infected earring holes if I didn't have to have my ears pierced. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to you know what i mean there's like a long list of things you wouldn't have to do if you aren't female right so we're all at home teaching our six seven eight year old daughters to do very specific things like here's how you shave your legs here's what it looks like to have shaving cream here's what you do oh be very careful around your ankles and knees because that's where you cut yourself like (sighs) it's so funny because the things you're saying like (laughs) My mom just didn't teach me any of that. 
<laughs> all those things. Like you took me to get my ears pierced. I did. I did <laughs> do that. I, was I did take you to do that. And <laughs> did I teach you how to get your legs shaved? <laughs> no one did. So I still no. don't know. I but actually I did remember teach you about tampons. I feel like. Maybe probably because yeah. I didn't start using them until I was in my 20s yeah. because I was terrified of them. Katie, can you believe that? No, I can't. And this is something I want to talk. No. Op- I really do want to talk openly about because I was so scared of them. And I remember being at my senior prom. Well, Katie, and it was puncture at my- your hymen. <laughs> I, I was at my senior prom and it was a pool party at my house. And I had my period and all right. my high school friends were like, Katie, just use a tampon. It'll be fine. And I, I couldn't do it. So I couldn't swim at my own house on my senior prom. And it was terrible. And. Just for anyone else who had those experiences, like I didn't use a tampon for the first time until I was maybe, I think I was 21. I really, I think I was 21 because I was, and I I did it for the first time because I was working in a restaurant and I had literally no other option. And then I did it and I was like, oh shit, this is like not that big of a deal. This is okay. And I've never... (laughs) I think the problem, I think the main problem with that is that everybody makes anything involving female genitalia or reproductive systems a big deal. Right. Yeah. Everything's a big deal. Well, and it's something to be so scared of. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like I'm still scared of my genitalia to this day. I mean, like, they make wrappers. They make wrappers for tampons and pads that don't make noise. So right. other women don't know you have your period. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? I mean, I mine's super loud. I am in the bathroom loud. with constant middle schoolers that right. have their periods and we just all ignore each other. Who well, cares? And I remember it just to get extremely personal. The first time I ever got mine, Let's I was so personal. 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 I was so devastated because it was at our family vacation. And I had just left. You had just <laughs> left. The day before. My one female companion for my whole entire life. That's left. a lot of pressure. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true. I know. And I got it. And I remember it was like, because th- I have three older brothers. So Do you know your mom, <laughs> your mom talked to me and she was like, where the hell did Allie go? She didn't say hell, but she did say, I was thinking, where's Allie? Because <laughs> my mom had three boys and then one random girl at the end. My mom wanted 10 sons. Your mom also like didn't psycho. paint her nails on her wedding day. I know. <laughs> She didn't paint her nails until I was in high school. My God, can I paint your nails on your wedding day? Also, I don't paint my I paint my toenails, but I, I don't, don't paint, paint my nails. Oh. I, I don't paint my regular nails because I rock climb, so they chip off all the time. I was about to but say I didn't, and then my nails are clearly <laughs> painted. <laughs> but I honestly, I will never forget because I got this period and I didn't know what was going on because I didn't, my mom and I didn't have the talk before then, so I was so confused. And then I remember my brother Zach was like trying to be nice to me. So he, cause I didn't have any friends on that vacation cause I wasn't old enough and it was so stupid. And he goes, do you want to come to Denny's with all of us? And I said, there is nothing more in the world than I would want to come to, than to come to Denny's with you and all of your cool high school friends. <laughs> and no, I said, yes. Worst. And then I'm sitting at Denny's and 
I honestly, I wanted to take the waitress into the bathroom and say, can you please help me? You're but clearly instead, bleeding through I'm your pants. I'm clearly bleeding through my shorts, my jean shorts in the summertime in Ocean City, Maryland. And it was just the worst experience. And <laughs> so now you all know. <laughs> so now everyone knows. That Ruth Bader Ginsburg inspired Katie's period. She inspired me. Her and Minnie Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a, it's a, I'm hiccuping. This is so you. I know. Okay. I think it's something that every girl goes through because they get in this state where they're uncomfortable to talk to their mother and their father. And they forget that their father is part of the period cycle. So, like, I remember telling my mom and my mom and dad having eyes at each at each other. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry for my hiccups. <laughs> hiccups, everyone. Um, I know with our girls, we talk openly about it in mm-hmm. front of. In front of our Jake, producer, our producer. <laughs> I'm I'm horrified that they're scared to tell him that. They have their period. Right. <laughs> it's another, uh, not to bring up King of the Hill twice in one three hour long episode. Oh my God. <laughs> You're a liar. So oh my God. But um, I never will never forget also when Connie, super nuisance phone, the next door neighbor girl got her period when her parents were out of town and she's staying with the Hills and Hank has to deal with it. And it is so uncomfortable. And she is like, cause I also understand that because I will, you know, open, like I only go to female gynecologists cause yeah. I'm weird about it and that's fine. It's okay if you make that choice for yourself. But I, I, I just connected with her so much. And that feeling is when I got mine, I was surrounded by teenage boys. Yeah. Can you imagine anything worse no. than I was in a beach house with 20 teenage boys and the problem is, <laughs> all these teenage boys had already been conditioned by their girlfriends to shut the fuck up. Right. Or to be like, huh, that's gross. That's like, the... No, they're conditioned Or like, I don't for, know anything about that's that. That's the like, week I can't fuck you. Right. Is what they're saying in their heads, which is like... Which also is a lie. You can have sex on your period, and it's fantastic. It just is sloppy. Right. You just have to put a towel down. Yeah. You just have to do something about it. Right. I just... It's it's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Wow. This we is are totally <laughs> off topic. I also, I loved how they both had lobsters. Mates yeah. for life. Mate Obviously, for life. Minnie was written to her male counterpart. But the fact that his name is Marty is perfect. I really do love that. <laughs> Marty is like maybe the best possible name. Yeah. I agree, because I, I can't remember if I, like, I think Marty is the name of, like, Mickey's dad, because, of course, all the mouse people have M names. Because why not? <laughs> it has to be an alliteration. We're, we're yeah. like dumbo hiccuping Ooh, right coming now. Coming to the end. There is so much. But I, I like, I, hmm. Well, also, and, uh, um, <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> I'm like going down my list and I because I, I wrote clothing with a meaning and yeah. I their clothes are perfect talk about that their um, part partners are perfect also like I think it's funny that RBG like 
Her original name, no, I had no idea her name was Joan. Joan! And I just think it's funny that, like, not a lot of people know that Ruth's name is Joan because that was a nickname that she is known by, whereas Minnie has the name of Minerva, but that was given to her later. It's almost like Minerva is a nickname. You know what I'm saying? It's like, because that is not Disney canon. That is 1942 canon of like, oh yeah, we should give her a full name so it's fun. They were trying to address her with real life. Yes, exactly. And I love, like... I th- and I also, I think the hyphenation of her last name is fascinating. Mm. That we not only know her married name, but we know her regular name. Yeah. Her birth Ruth name. Bader. Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg. I think that is fascinating because, you know, Minnie Mouse is just Minnie Mouse. Like everybody's mouse, you know, Marcus Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Martin Mouse. Everybody's a mouse. And she doesn't really have that distinction. So I actually, <laughs> you know how like Google has those questions that a lot of people ask? Yeah. One of them was, are Minnie and Mickey brother and sister? <laughs> no. Which I would just want to be like, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Like, have you seen the original cartoons? But also like, I always forget that like not everybody VHS taped the 1940s and 50s cartoons and then had them when they were <laughs> not a child in the as, 90s on demand. As poor as we were. Right. <laughs> But it was just like such a weird question. Like, oh, of course they're not. They're like married. She's the big. Che- he's the big cheese, and she's the main squeeze. It's, it's the of best. Course. I think the whole thing is that both of them are these iconic female characters mm-hmm. that nobody knows how they relate to the female sector of society. Right. It is Minnie Mouse has always been there mm-hmm. and she has always been a counterpart, but she's always played in the sha- shadows. Mm-hmm. Mi- and and wow, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's like, oh, OK, fine. She's on the Supreme Court. Second woman ever on the Supreme Court. Cool. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Like, no, she's the only actual female person to ever fight for everything. Right. She literally is the reason we have everything we have. There is, she is the female, I'll say it again. She is the female Martin Luther King Jr. That's all the, that's all there is to it. And the thing I love too is that she does all this without any expectation of being recognized. Like, I would imagine that all this press that she's gotten in the past couple of years has been kind of a shock to her. They, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's like, uh, I've been operating for a while <laughs> since the Clinton administration. I wasn't even born no. since RBG has been operating in the Supreme Court. Yeah. And then before <laughs> that, she was a lawyer for right. the Supreme Court. She's been for the... 40 years, 40 years, at at least fighting for female rights. At Amazing. least. And Minnie is doing the same. Pushing off kisses. Pushing off. I think we need to make some toast. <laughs> I know. I'm fairly toasty. And. I'm toasted. Okay. So I'll do mine first. Yeah. Because I went first. Do it. 
Do it. So I want to toast to all of the women who feel like a sidekick. Because I know, like, with my fiance, Casey, like, I think he's the absolute best. And sometimes I feel like a sidekick to him. And I feel like sometimes, like, it's okay to serve that role if you interchange it, you know? Like, sometimes at events, like, he's my sidekick. And sometimes at events, I'm his. But you should never feel like that all the time. You are the main protagonist in your story. And you are a magnificent person on your own. And I just hope that you know that. And you never feel like you are perpetually, you know, just the the mini to, to, to your Mickey. Because Minnie was just as important and just as influential. So, to... The main protagonists. To the main protagonists. (laughs) Minnie, we love you. To RBG. You have literally changed the daily life of each and every American woman, whether they know it or not. It is so easy to take for granted the position that we have in society today. And it isn't perfect, but... We have in in women's rights gone miles compared to where you were when you started your career. So I would like to toast women who are out there and are small but are incredibly mighty. Mm. So to those women, and cheers. to our tigers. What do you want to tell me that you are doing this week to get me to do it? So uh, I think before we, because I am going to promote something. But before that, I think we also have to address. So a couple weeks ago, we promoted R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet because it has very significant like nostalgia memory for the two of us. But he's also an asshole. But he's also the absolute worst. So, you know, we um, went through our Instagram and I didn't take off the picture, but I took off the caption of how we encouraged him because I didn't know how to take off the picture from the multiple picture thing unless reposting it. So maybe I'll do that some from now on. But he but he is doesn't deserve it if he's he peeing on it. little girls. If just all the things. And so we just wanted to address that really quick. And if you're curious as to like, hey, I thought these gals were like cool and now they're like really digging on R. Kelly. We are not digging on R. Kelly and supporting what he has done. No. So just to be clear, but I am going to promote um, in pop, 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 pop to the culture, culture. <laughs> that's our unofficial theme song for this segment because i always forget about it um and why not <laughs> who cares and why not um so i recently bought another book by this author so this will be the third one that i've read her name is tana french um she is a mystery detective book novelist and i first read her when i took this amazing course at Towson that was with professors about, like me yes with professors like you and the book was all about women in detective fiction fun um like Nancy you, Drew <laughs> like we actually we addressed Nancy Drew but we didn't read any of her but 
it because it was they broke the, the professor broke the course down into books that were written by women right books that were about women detectives mm-hmm. um you know different things like that so like some of them could also be written by men about women detectives so mm. it was a really well-rounded course and i found this author tana french um i read her book broken harbor and then when I was older, out out of college, I read her book in in the woods, which was really good. And now I'm reading the likeness. It's like it's so good because one of the things she does is like the books are kind of connected, but you really don't have to read one to read the other. And I right. really of like that. I love that too. Um. So because I think that um my fiance Casey, I think that. I think he would really like the likeness, but I don't think he would like in the woods. Mm, <laughs> so I would really, I'm going to recommend Tana French. She's an amazing author because I love true crime, but I also really like a good like fiction detective book. Of if course. it's really good. Yeah. So Tana French, I'm going to just recommend all of her books. I've only read two and a half right now, but they're good. <laughs> so what do you have to promote this week? So I am in the middle of Crazy Rich Asians, mm. which I have a I have a very powerful trend of saying, okay, it's been made into a movie, yes. so it must be a great book. So I don't watch the movie, okay, and then I go back and read the book, and then I go see the movie. So I am, and that's always proved well for me. Okay. So I'm in the middle of the book, and I am just enthralled by the Asian culture that I don't understand without it being critical of like the white American culture. And I'm not saying that like they absolutely talk about like, oh, you know, they're a white American Asian. Like that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? They absolutely put that out there, but there's not this criticalness that makes you feel uncomfortable. It's a criticalness that makes you feel like you belong. Yeah. Which is something that I'm like, it's the same way I felt when I read, um, you know, the book I suggested a couple of weeks the ago. Hate you give? What? The hate you give. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that the hate you give was like really good at being like, Hey, this is our culture and we're not mad at you, but this is what you need to know. Yeah. I felt very that way about this, only less so. Mm. It's just, it, it's interesting. Like, yeah. And it's so fiction. And it's so like, I like reading about relationships and whatever. But I do like reading about people that aren't just like straight up white people. Because yeah. I'm a straight up white person. Yeah. I want to be totally clear that that is all I am is mm-hmm. a straight up white person. And this book has nothing to do with that. So I have to learn new phrases and new cultures and new people. And it's fun because white people aren't asked to do that very often. Very true. And that's good to know, too, because I like knew the movie was coming out and I've always seen that book in Barnes and Noble. Mm. And the cover is very attractive to me because it's a it's a cool cover. It is. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I judge books by its covers. Because why not? Because, (laughs) and honestly, it has only served me well. There was only one book where it was like really shitty, but it had like an okay cover. I will say that it didn't have the best cover. It just had like an okay cover. Books with foreign languages within them. Like, so when I read Born a Crime, 
That was a great book. It's easier to have it podcast or audio book. I agree with that with um, The Hate You Give because you get to hear the accents mm-hmm. of the people living in the city. I also agree with that with Crazy Rich Asians. Like, yeah. it is easier to hear somebody speak in their native accent. Yeah. And well, it's hard. It's hard because you want to sit down and read. But at the same time, it's like, I don't understand what these letters are saying when they're yeah. put together. Well, that's the funny thing about um, Tana French, too, is all of her books are set in Dublin, Ireland. Right. So sometimes I get into the habit of reading them with like an Irish accent because I love an Irish accent. Um, But then sometimes you fall out of it and then there are some words you're like, wait, what? And then you're like, oh, shit, if I was reading this, like (laughs) thinking that like remembering that this was in Ireland, then I would be understanding this a little bit more. (laughs) Right. It's nice when people read to you. That's all. Yeah, that is true. It's just Mm. nice. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah. No, I need to call someone to pick me up. Ah, is it Uber? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed season one. We do. We're at the end and we're very sorry about this. This was such a long episode. We We had a lot of tangents. We had a lot of things to say and I hope that you enjoyed it because this is very much (laughs) Allie and I. This is 15 weeks of us being cute. If you don't want if you don't want us at our episode 15, you don't deserve us at our episode 10. 10. <laughs> 10 was good. 10 was good. <laughs> so, so thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It means, of course. really, it means so much to us. It's the best. That's the best way for the algorithms to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we like to say on HOTR, Well-behaved women don't complain about equal pay. (laughs) (laughs) Rarely make history. Thanks so much. We love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com and if you would like to drink along with us go on over to our twitter or our instagram to find our cocktail recipes we post them there a few days in advance see you next week